Hello and welcome to episode 34 of the Large Format Photography Podcast. My name is Simon Forster and I'm joined by Andrew Bartram and Andre Dominguez. Hello, Andrew. Hi, Simon. Hello, Andre. Hello, gentlemen. It's great to have you here, Andre. Thanks so much for having me. Okay, now, uh, before we get going, I just want to say thank you uh, to Alex Burke, who was our guest with us, uh, well, just mm. over two weeks ago, because we are a little bit later than uh, with this this show, uh, but uh, thank you for being with us, Alex. It was great having you having you on the show, and uh, and certainly that chat about the about colour um, resonated with a lot of people. So um, so thank you for taking the time out and for being with us for that. Um, right then, so on to this week. Uh, let's head over to the Fens and uh, see what Andrew's been up to. Well, I've been thinking a lot about that Alex Burke show we did and. Color scanning, as I mentioned, I need some help with that. So maybe we should uh, maybe we should do one of these uh, shows about color scanning at some point, because uh, you know black and white's lovely, and I can make nice prints. But color scanning, I'd like to be able to do. I'd like to be able to do it on my. I have to do it on my V five hundred because that's the only scanner I've got, and I'm not buying anything more expensive. So, uh, what do you think, Simon? A show on scanning, or I think we, I must, think... Be, we must be able to find an expert somewhere. Well, you can always just listen to the Classic Lenses podcast. Um, okay. <laughs> and particularly, Maybe I need to do that. Yeah, Which episode? It, is, it wasn't that long ago uh, because yeah. we had Hamish on um, talking about his imminently to be released uh, Pixelator uh, oh, yeah. that was imminently to be released some time ago and then it wasn't. Yeah. Um, but we thought, yeah, this is it now. It's, go- it's going to happen. Um, and, it, and we was also on with uh, Nate Johnson, um, who is the man behind uh, Negative Lab Pro. Um, mm-hmm. Which is a a plugin for Lightroom, um, which yeah. uh, automatically converts your negatives into uh, into um, well positives, um, and does an absolutely incredible job of it. And he goes into quite some length about how that actually how that plugin works, um, and also just the intricacies of of scanning. And one of the things about that program that is is created is that you can use it in conjunction with scanners. Um, if the scanner can take a TIFF, if it can, um, yeah, if it can scan to a TIFF file, then it could then be run through the Negative Lab Pro software. Um, okay. Which, you know, uh, from my experience, uh, is absolutely excellent. Um, some people prefer the, the the scanning software that comes with it. Some people like Silverfast and so on and so on. Uh, but it's it's great to have choices. And there's also a new one on the market. And I say it's on the market because it's free, um, which I've seen some really good results, which I can't quite remember what that one's called. Oh, you mentioned it last time. It's called... Film Lab? No. No? No. Oh, you Pixel, mentioned it in the last Pixel show. To grain. That's Pixel it. Pixel to Grain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's it. So, yeah. uh, so that's another way. But uh, I think uh, that uses Photoshop, uh, whereas the other one uh, works with Lightroom. Well, you know my IT ineptness and also the laptop belongs to the firm so that goes back when i leave at the end of the year so i'll get my own get my own uh, laptop or desktop or something but it still doesn't solve the problem of uh, you know actually digitizing so i know i can go and get one of hamish's um, uh, pixel sooners or pixelators or whatever <laughs> the joke is yeah pixie <laughs> um, say. P- pixel sooner is the next version i think isn't it uh, <laughs> So I could go and get one of those, but then, you know, what's the, can I get a decent scan of a four or five negative using a phone? I mean, I don't have a digital camera and anyone who knows me knows that I'm not going to go and buy a digital bloody camera. Excuse my French. 
Yeah, well, you do. Uh, it's a, if you're going to do camera scanning, well, I mean, uh, I mean, there's there's debate over actually what what it's actually called. Uh, but camera scanning is probably about the easiest one to describe it. But yeah, mm-hmm. but you don't have to go nuts. You haven't got to get anything particularly special. I mean, yeah. it, it all depends on what you're actually planning to do with the the scanned images. And if you're, all you're going to well, do that's is, true. yeah, if you're just putting them onto Facebook, Instagram, and things like that, you you yeah. absolutely don't need anything special. But if you decide yeah. that you want to start printing as high resolution as you possibly can digitally, these color shots in particular, then um, then then yeah, you might want to actually. You know, uh, use something that's a that's a high res. Uh, I just got a pop up, Simon, that it said that you muted Andrew. Now I know that there's a friendly rivalry between co-hosts, <laughs> but ah, <laughs> uh, that was because I pressed the wrong button. And <laughs> well, I, I will I will say though. Uh, so the the Sinistil crew have become you know quite quite close with the the folks over at uh, Negative Supply. And they told us that for the first, like, you know, six to, to nine months of, of them kind of operating, all of the images that they were putting out uh, on social media were done with a Canon Rebel T2i little APS-C DSLR and, like, Canon's cheapest macro lens on the market. So you don't – obviously, you're going to get better results if, you, if you're using a better camera, better macro lens, but – also, in my experience here, using an old uh, 5D Mark II and an adapted, you know, uh, Nikon 60 millimeter macro uh, D series lens, like it really does not take a lot gear wise to get a good picture. And I've tested the the pixelator. I've, I've tested the negative supply four by five holder. So I think you've got plenty of options, Andrew. Yeah. So now you're 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 still muted andrew unfortunately i know uh, why do you keep muting back. me what's wrong That's with it. you i'm sorry about that go on um, well i think so i think what i'm going to do is forget large format four by five and i'm going to concentrate i can i've got my six by 17 back right i'm going to mute, i'm going on. to mute you again then now you're giving up on large format so i'm just going to no 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 <laughs> listen listen so and also i'll just use my fuji six by nine camera and there's quite a bit of real estate on those negatives and, you know, I can then still use my V500 and I can just concentrate on darkroom work for the um, for the large format stuff. Because I don't so, want to make my life overly complicated, you see. This is the problem. So, Simon, if you want to uh, dump Andrew and take me on as a co-host of the Large Format Photography now, listen, Podcast. Yeah, listen, you. <laughs> I'm keeping my powder dry at the moment, but I've got a few things to say about <laughs> to you, Mr. Dominguez. Oh, I bet. I bet. <laughs> Have you asked me what I've been up to yet, Simon? Uh, I thought that was it. <laughs> it probably, yeah. No, I've been messing around in the darkroom and thinking philosophically about life, as, as one or two of you know, who I interacted with. But uh, that's it, really. And I've been in the darkroom, which is nice. And I've not been uh, making too many images, which is also nice for me. Yeah. So, Nick, um, so, oh, I've just given the given no, the game away, haven't no, I? No, no, not quite, not quite. <laughs> Let's we we can we can we can uh, roll this one through. So keep going. Yeah. So I'm aware, as someone has just pointed out, that uh, you can stitch together the four by five, uh, but uh, someone will have to show me how to do that. You can show me how to do that, Simon. Can't you? Do you stitch together? Uh, I do, but I do it with digitally with uh, with with shot with camera scans but one of that, that which one is of also yeah but that's also one of the things i've been saying is that if you if you're only going to put these things onto something like facebook or something like that you, there's no yeah. point in taking multiple photographs and making huge images if you're then going to compress the hell out of them just to 
put them onto mm. a screen or a phone. So which uh, makes me which makes sorry which makes me think I'm just going to stick with my six by nine and six by seventeen for color. Yeah. Yeah, Andrew, you don't have to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I do. I mean, what what do you have any thirty five millimeter cameras? Yeah, a Nikon F two and a Nikon FE and Olympus thirty five RC. Perfect. Okay, Nikon. You know, buy buy a cheap APS C Nikon DSLR. They're on the cheapest uh, macro lens you can find, like Mm. the fifty five millimeter micro, and use the pixelator. I don't want to buy a digital camera. I'm sorry. I just don't. I just don't. It's never, it's never grabbed my imagination in any way whatsoever. I understand you what you're saying. You don't have to use it for I anything but scanning. No, I, I know. I know what you're saying, but my li- you're just adding another layer of complication to my life, and I don't need it. Okay, I've got enough complicated things going on. What did I say, Nikon or Nikon? And what's correct? Is it, is it Nike or, or I think Nike? it is Nikon. Ah, what did I say? What did I say? I don't know what I said. I think that, uh, this was, this goes goes back a long way, obviously, and I think I think it's probably closer to be Nikon. Um, so it's somewhere in between. It's it's none of the ways that we usually say it. So uh, say however I'll you stick, like. I'll use my Toyo camera yes. for um, uh, making four by five and six by seventeen images, but just color in the six by seventeen, probably. Yeah. yeah. How about that? Yeah. That no, sounds good. So, shall I do my bit? If you like. Yes. Why? Why not? Um, because I've I've had a pretty exciting week um, this this week, or at least a couple of days ago. Um, because up until then, absolutely nothing had happened, uh, large formatty. Um, but on was it Friday, Sunday, Friday? Yeah, Friday. Um, uh, Dave Shrimpton uh, dropped by uh, to say hello, um, and uh, and he was on his way up north. Um, to to meet with someone, and he he dropped by, and the reason the main reason for him dropping by was because um, we were both online at the same time um, watching uh, a physical auction, and we were chatting to each other about uh, certain lots, mainly the, uh, the the large format lots that were on on at this auction, and there was a a ten by a ten by eight. Yeah, a ten a ten by eight camera uh, that that was on there. <laughs> and that sound effect was the sound of a ten by eight camera, um, just like the one um, that uh, Dave Shrimpton bought, uh, landed on the table. Um, so uh, so anyway, so Dave uh, Dave dropped by, and um, and of course. Um, he brought some stuff with him. So if, if Dave was going to bring some stuff with him, which I knew he was going to do that, I thought I'm going to dig out some of my gear as well and uh, and just set it all out in our lounge, uh, waiting for him. And then uh, he came in and, and, and delivered all his heavy lenses uh, that, that he's got. Um, every lens he's got was heavier than mine, uh, which was, you know, massively disappointing but uh but no, it was uh, it was a case of he was going to be dropping by for an, for an hour and a cup of tea. Um, and then four hours later, and my wife making him sandwiches later, <laughs> he, he was uh, he, he was on his way. But um, I think you you had a pretty good time, didn't you, Dave? Yeah, oh. it was absolutely brilliant to um, finally meet you. And um, yeah, and who who would have thought it? It ended up with chaos, didn't it? With large format everywhere. Um, yeah, I mean, I I, I entered your. I, I've travelled up north to do cyanotype and a Polaroid um, emulsion lifting course. And I ended up leaving your house with two new cameras, uh, one eight ten, and then your amazing five per seven. Um, 
some wonderful lenses that you've been very kind to lend me and and even a lens board that you printed for me and a lens so uh top man it was a good weekend and i've ended up with some nice 10-8 holders as well so they, they, they were fantastic camera. weren't they as well those those oh, those holders stunning. yeah stunning and the beauty of them guys is that we all know what 10-8 holders are like um there's th three of these came with the camera and they do fit the camera but two of them i haven't opened them but they're heavy so they've got glass in them. So who knows? There could be an image there. So I've not opened them. Chances are there's nothing. But you never know. There could be an image from 100 years ago. So um, I shall try and develop them. I probably need your help with that, Andrew, and what the hell to use. But, um, yeah, a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Very good. And when, when you said you took a, a, a 7x5, it was a, it's, it's a, it was a half-plate uh, yeah. camera. And uh, and that was a camera that uh, quite some time ago I lent <laughs> to Mr. Andrew Bartram, um, and uh, because I was thinking, well, Andrew knows about this large format photography, and he can go out there and uh, he can he can use it with his Thornton Picard shutter, and and so on. And um, how did how did you get on with that, Andrew? I gave it back to you. I was too frightened to use it. I have to admit. <laughs> But at least you did. I did, cut, I did cut some film down, some X-ray film for you. You did, yeah. didn't I? And Andrew's got, and uh, Dave's got there it as go. well. And I've given you instructions on what to do with it. You have. There on you go. <laughs> you know, I didn't turn that paper, that uh, that packet over. You know, uh, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> with, with the instructions. Oh shit! Okay, sorry about that. <laughs> so I reckon, Dave, um, probably about eight minutes with HC one ten dilution B. Yeah. Your old plates, yeah, that just that came to me just now as I was uh, <laughs> watching you. B, we're not, yeah, okay. I don't know, I've no idea, I've not used it. I'm, I, the only thing I've developed the uh, Jason Lane plates in is uh, stock ID11 for nine minutes, maybe? Yeah. I'll just do one in yeah, anything. That's about right, for happen. the plates. Mm -hmm. I think yeah. for the old plates, Dave, uh, yeah, I, I think HC110 dilution B yeah. at, a, at a lower temperature. Uh, okay. It'd be nice to develop them by inspection, but you don't know if they're panchromatic. So, mm -hmm. so as a starting point, maybe like eight minutes. Yeah, I mean, the chances um, are, I mean, they're they're fogged or they've been exposed. But oh, yeah, sure. you know how exciting it is when you hold something and you know there's something in there. You know, yes. it's just like, yeah. oh, my God, how cool is this? So um, <laughs> I, I did buy a stereo Rolliflex recently, and, um, and the guys, it was all, yeah, lovely. And the guy said, yeah, I opened them all up and took all the glass out. I said... <laughs> No, but never mind. It's like the guys on eBay who sell photographic paper and kindly take it out of the box to show you what's in there. <laughs> but yes, Simon, it was an absolute treat and a pleasure to meet you. And four hours, yeah, I'm not surprised. There you go. Yeah, it disappeared. So uh, yeah, no, thanks for thanks for dropping by, Dave. It was it was absolutely fantastic. And uh, and with, with that, that was pretty much uh, what's been happening with me. So uh, Andre, uh, what have you been up to lately? Oh boy, it's actually been uh, quite a lot. One of the, I think, ironic things about working at Cinestill is that for the vast majority of time, being so, you know, surrounded by film and film photography things, I end up not doing a whole lot in my in my personal time. But uh, just in the past like week, week and a half, I received my Pixelator from Hamish Gill and have been testing that. We received our negative supply 120 carrier and I've been testing that out. Uh, I went over to uh, meet up with, with John Money, who's here on the call, and picked up his huge, monstrous Omega 4x5 enlarger with the three-lens turret. Uh, had my, my boss, uh, Brandon Wright, 
come over and help me install it. Now I'm building this like, uh, like tool storage card so that I can put the enlarger on top of that and kind of wheel it into the dark room. So there's, there's a lot going on right now. Uh, whereas there usually isn't as most people will know from my, my pretty empty, uh, you know, what, what I've done since the last, uh, episode <laughs> segments of the negative positives podcast. You've moved house recently, haven't you, Andre? You showed some pictures of a palatial residence. No, no, still in my in my small little one bedroom apartment oh, I mean, here. Are you in, sure you haven't moved Mar- house? I'm pretty sure. <laughs> oh, got got some new some new toys to play with, but no no oh. new digs. Okay. You sure? Sure, you haven't moved house. Okay. Must, have been, must have been somebody else so where's your dark room and what what have you it's offered? still in the bathroom yeah uh i i pretty much i think it was maybe three or four weeks after i moved in um a year and a half ago i went ahead and you know covered up the the one window that's in the bathroom with some light proofing material which is actually the some extra bits of light proofing material that the cinestill dark room is made of one entire wall of the sinistral darkroom is just this light proof uh sheeting so i got that in was using my small little uh 35 millimeter and larger less than a month after i moved here but then you know things got busy i, I sort of set things aside i ended up picking up a medium format and larger maybe eight or nine months ago that didn't have a, a baseboard on it and i've just been dragging my feet on that so when when john hit me up with this omega enlarger that had a baseboard and had that three lens turret, it was like, well, this could replace everything that I have. So went over, met up with him uh, after after work, had a lovely conversation, and we'll, we'll, we'll get him on once we open the floor up to everybody. Uh, but yeah, now it's built, it's all ready to go. The only problem is that I can't lift the damn thing <laughs> or, or push it into the, the, the bathroom. What I usually do is, so I'll be sitting on the toilet and I'll have a coffee table with like a, a, a bath towel over it that I set the enlarger on top of. And that works fine for the small little 35 millimeter one. It will work fine for the medium format one, but this one is just way too much of a beast. So putting it on this uh, this storage cart that can apparently take up to like 500 pounds of weight should make it uh, you know nice and neat and organized with you know all my paper and dodging and burning tools and things in the drawers. And then there's a, there's a bottom shelf that I can put the gray lab timer, trays, things like that, and then just wheel it into the bathroom. And I've already tested just with the, the wheels to make sure that I can clear all the corners. I'm not going to bang it into anything. Um, so I knew I had to say something. Well, I didn't actually say it. I thought I thought it when you said you you sit on the toilet to make your enlargement. Is that is that what you were saying? Yeah, I mean, I, I've got a, I've got a, you know, seal the, <laughs> I've got to seal the door up because. You know, there's, the there's plenty. <laughs> there's plenty of space in between the the door and the door frame. So I essentially, you know, this whole thing that everybody says about ventilation is like, well, I don't know how exactly that's going to work for me because I've got to, you know, shove some towels underneath the the bottom of the door, but then gaffer tape the tops and the sides. So it's making sure that I've got water, I've got snacks, and I've got a toilet in order to deal with the aftermath of those first two while I'm in there for several hours is very important. You can make a light tight baffle by drilling holes in your door, but if it's a rented place, the landlord Yeah, I can't do any of that stuff. I've already asked. Yeah. Maybe you could put some kind of air pipe down the toilet and eventually you'd you'd reach... uh, (laughs) I saw this in a film somewhere. uh, I think it was... 
So it's pretty Kingsman. sticky snorkel Kingsman. right there. Kings, Kingsman, that's right. They flooded the room and they survived by putting shower heads down the toilet so they could breathe. So I think if you did that, you'd be fine. And then rig it to a mouthpiece so you had it like that. Yeah, and then no. you had the lead going down the toilet and you'd get gonna, some air. It's going to be a pretty, a pretty uh, you know, unsanitary snorkel right there. Mm. Um, let's let's just bring this back to uh, photography again, and, or uh, away from the the, the toilets. And um, <laughs> you've already already it. touched upon it uh, with uh, Cinestill uh, doing well, uh, going to do four by five. Has that, has that been mm-hmm. announced yet? Is, have you? Is, 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 because I've not heard this before. Is this uh, is this news? Is this breaking news? Are we we're, we're doing it at the moment? I mean, I've I've mentioned it. I, I've. Uh, one could say leaked or just kind of casually chatted about it. Uh, we, we just finished a, a production run of about 12 master roles, which is a, you know, a pretty unique opportunity for us, given that a bunch of the, the studios and, and you know, major feature films being shot on film, obviously production halted during COVID. So Eastman Kodak was, was left with quite a bit of, of film for this like second and, and third quarter of the year. So we, we went ahead and uh, bought all of that up. The Matt and the twins went over to Rochester and spent about two and a half, almost three weeks there running as much film as they could. So we've got a lot of it. And uh, even though a lot of that's already been pre-sold and is, is going to be helping out with the back orders, there is the, the possibility that maybe half or, or maybe a full master roll can be dedicated to, uh, you know, cutting down to, to large format, which we've done before. We did a, a very limited four by five run as Indiegogo rewards when they were obviously raising money for building the larger version of the machine that sits in Rochester that strips the Remjet layer from the, the master rolls rather than just the thousand foot 35 millimeter pancakes. And so it's been out there in the past and in, in subsequent uh, master roll production runs, they've kind of hand cut some sheets of four by five and five by seven just for like our own internal use. But yeah. uh, this is the first time that we've had enough material to, you know, potentially make a small run. And we're even in talks right now to do something like a Ilford ULF order or, you know, Keith Canem's, uh, you know, custom orders to, to sort of use that to gauge the demand on you know well how much four by five would people want how much five by seven how much eight by ten yeah so you know there's some there's some exciting stuff happening mm-hmm. uh we, we've also gotten uh pricing and availability on double uh, x in master rolls so there's the Ooh. possibility of having that emulsion in Ooh. new formats as well which also like we're, we're the only ones to be able to to do yeah. that well, just I was going to say, just for the the, the sake of uh, our listeners that are not aware of the films that we're talking about and what makes Cine Still uh, different uh, from other films, could you is there a a, a brief uh, rundown of uh, the films that you do and what and why it's so interesting? Sure, uh, Cine Still provides three different emulsions. They are film stocks, I guess, is more accurate of a term. There's double X, which it, or we brand it as BWXX, which is Eastman Kodak 5222XX black and white motion picture film. No Remjet on it, but a really beautiful, uh, contrasty, very cinematic uh, looking black and white film, uh, medium speed. Then there is 50D or 50 Daylight, which is an extremely fine grain daylight balance film. 
that coming from the Vision 350D stock does have to have the Remjet layer removed from it in order to, to make it processable in C41. So you can do it yourself in C41 chemistry or send it to any lab that does C41 across the country. You don't have to deal with removing the Remjet layer uh, yourself or you know purchasing an ECN2 kit. Um, and then 800T is the other, you know, much more popular one. It sells at a rate of about three or four times the rate of 50D. And that is our high speed color film uh, that comes from Vision 3 500T. And it's fantastic for mixed artificial lighting. You can shoot it from anything from daylight to fluorescent uh, LED tungsten lights. And it, it renders some really, really uh, nice natural looking colors with a moderate amount of grain. And I've shot that in a pinhole camera as well. The 800T. Yeah. Yeah. Three really beautiful stocks that we're excited to be able to offer in different formats in the not too distant future. Uh, I think the the thought of that of uh, 800T is pretty spectacular on 4x5 because I mean it's good on the on the smaller formats. Um, and you, you're going to get the grain as, as you might expect. Um, oh, I've got a, I've got a dog that's uh, kicking off. Um, sorry about that. Um, but uh, yeah, on large format, that could be absolutely incredible. Um, so I, yeah, I, I, saw, just... I saw somebody put in the chat here that you know the high speed uh, color in four x five would be really great for the the handheld four x five crowd. Hmm. Yeah, for your Ouija night shots of dead bodies and things. <laughs> yeah so aj i don't i don't know if, if people were able to hear his audio levels were pretty low but uh, he just said that sandy uh Fimester has shot some four by five he received some from the the indiegogo campaign and we've also kind of trickled out uh, a few boxes to him over the years and yeah his the work that he's done with it in four by five is just absolutely beautiful so when we when we do end up launching it we'll, we'll very likely be using a lot of his image as uh, as promo right well i think this is probably a good time uh, to do a bit of an introduction to our guest um and uh, and we'll get on with the the main part of the show so uh, as you've heard uh, we have andre dominguez uh, on the show um, and he is a co-host of the negative positives podcast and as you've already heard he works for city still and he likes watches and he goes to sleep on air um, <laughs> and um, and interestingly the, the, i mean the reason why andre is with us today is because he dropped us the line uh, saying guys I've bought some cameras. Can I come on the show? And I thought, yeah, we can, we can do that. Um, and, uh, and, and the thing is, um, I was chatting to, to Mike Gutterman about this. And, uh, and he says, he's, 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 he's having you on. He's got you. Because how do you mean? All he's doing is buying gear to, to whichever it is that, you know, whichever show that there is that it's specialist. Um, so, you know, he's about to get himself a pinhole camera pretty soon and an appeal to Andrew to nope. go onto the lensless oh, podcast. Was, oh, no, 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 no. No, I'm there on that. <laughs> yeah, I'm, give me a chance to get, I've got, I'm holding myself in suspenders. I, yeah. So to speak. Well, the thing is, he, you know, he, he, he first got in touch with me a while back because he bought this uh, Minolta Maxim lens 
um, and said, Simon, I've got this old Minolta lens. Can I come on the Classic Lenses podcast? And I had to like let mm. him down. Yeah, it was, no, that's an autofocus lens. And uh, so he, he went away, thought about it, and obviously then came away and and, and bought a couple of large format cameras. So um, I, don't, I don't think that was me, Simon. I've <laughs> never requested to be on Classic Lenses, nor have I ever bought a Minolta Maxim lens. <laughs> well, that's, that's not what Mike Gutterman's telling me anyway. So, um, and you know, I believe Mike is a good guy. Simon. Yes. So the thing is, <laughs> in the early days of the Lensless podcast, mm -hmm. so a very keen new pinhole user called Andre Dominguez got in touch with Corey Cannon and they met up and uh, he was dead keen. Pinhole was going to be the next big thing. You know, forget every other format. It was all pinhole, all pinhole. He had projects set up for college to do like, photojournalistic using pinhole the next thing we know sold it all sold it all he'd been on the show had his five minutes of fame exactly. and then he started buying watches so he's you know he's got this reputation of just getting into things for five minutes and suddenly he's got large format cameras and enlargers you know yeah. how long is it going to last that's what we want to know andre you know, Andrew, everybody makes mistakes in mm -hmm. life, and the important thing is to uh, provide people with forgiveness and second chances. And if <laughs> I will have you know that I've actually been hitting up uh, Neil Piper asking him, well, I've got this 4x5 camera now. Like, Andrew's going to have my head, but I'd like <laughs> to see if I can shoot 4x5 four, uh, four pinhole with it rather yeah. than going out and buying, you know, uh, another 4x5 pinhole camera especially mm -hmm. since you know you can obviously change the the focal length and he was like yeah there's some calculators to go out there yeah don't don't tell andrew <laughs> i shoot pinhole occasionally with mine i've got uh, when i when i got my intrepid mark one camera from the kickstarter it came with a um, you know with, oh, a, with yeah, a pinhole right. so when and i also, sold when i then sold that camera i kept the pinhole board which i mm -hmm. sometimes use on the large form and also you know in in my defense i think one of the i don't know if i had actually talked to to you about it when you when you confronted me about selling the whole i had a zero image uh six by nine pinhole camera that i had purchased like a bunch of accessories for the cable release adapter the filter mm -hmm. adapter it had the little card that you held up to the back so that you could actually you know see kind of like a sports finder an approximation of the of the framing which i thought was brilliant because i could never look at the lines going either way and, and really tell what the hell I was going to be getting. Um, and I loved it. But over time, the the much kind of slower, uh, more like methodical way of shooting it started to grind my gears a little bit. But you know what, Andrew, I was a young buck. I have uh, <laughs> matured in, <laughs> in, in age and experience. I'm a lot more patient than I was in the past. There, there may yet be uh, a time and place in which I can get fully back into to pinhole. I, I think that definitely it is on the horizon, but there's two different kind of uh, paradigms that I'll either go down. Either, you know, cheap and cheerful, reality so subtle that I can just throw in my bag, set up on a little mini tripod, pinhole assist app, and, you know, Bob's your uncle, or going full out with something that resembles the workflow of large format on a on a bigger tripod being able to visualize my scene 
you know, doing side by side comparisons, metering off of different things. So, you know, time will tell, but I, I'm hoping to redeem my reputation as a, as a flipper and as a, as a very temporary, um, you know, entrant into many different formats and, and styles of photography. Right. Well, on, on that note, uh, this show is a little bit different. Um, as some people have probably confused if you if you're listening to this as, as a podcast, um, and that's uh, you already heard um, Jason Lane and Dave Shrimpton, and there are more people on this podcast because we're actually recording this. Um, I was going to say in front of a live studio audience, uh, but that's not entirely correct. Uh, but um, if, when we realized that uh, we were having a podcast professional on the show uh, we thought this is a good opportunity to do something very very different and uh, it's quite although it's quite similar to what we did for the large format photography podcast gathered in the forest 2020 that was virtual um, and so uh, I put a note uh, an invitation out on Facebook on I think it was on Friday and uh, asking anybody that wants to come along um, drop me an email and uh, we'll give you an invite and I, I deliberately kept that low key because i didn't want to have too many people uh on the on the show because uh, it can be well i've already got a rowdy lot in front of me at this moment so i don't think i can actually have any more of them i probably couldn't cope with it um so we have a a select uh, group of people with us and the the idea is that andre is um new to uh, large format is certainly not new to photography um, but there are lots of things that is not entirely certain about or we'd like some clarification on and and it seems like it's a this will be a good opportunity um, for questions that are well if you've been doing it for a, a reasonable length of time you you know the answers already but when you're actually starting off some things that seem to be quite basic to us now uh, are absolutely not and they can be quite bewildering um, so this is an opportunity for Andre to ask questions uh, to to Andrew and I, but also um, to the to a wider group of people. And there are there is a huge amount of knowledge around this table um, at this moment. So let's just say we're all around a table. Um, so I'm just going to introduce uh, all of the people that are actually in this room. Um, then we'll get onto some questions. I don't know if hopefully you've got some. Uh, questions to ask us uh, Andre um, and and really uh, the questions are going to be going out to a to the whole group of people they're not specifically to uh, to Andrew and I unless th there's a specific person that Andre wants to ask the question then if, if that's the case Andre please name name the person um, and uh, um, yeah so what I'll do I'll introduce everybody and then we'll get going again so I've, I have a list of people in front of me and I think they're alphabetical as well. Uh, yes, they are. Um, so uh, we have AJ White. Um, hello, AJ. Hello. Can you hear me now? Yeah, your your audio is much better. That's that's, that's good news. Um, Great. Then uh, we have Ethan Moses of Camera Dactyl Cameras. Hello, Ethan. Hey guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and uh, I've got to say, Ethan, um, we've been watching you build a camera. Um, whilst mm. while we've been on air, and this this there's something special about this camera, isn't there, Ethan? Yeah, this is Andre's camera. He requested all black, so I gave him this uh, black focusing helix because that's the hardest part to change. And then I uh, found a yellow spare grip and uh, this baby blue black <laughs> <laughs> baby blue focusing screen. And 
some red clips for him. And if he really hates it for a million dollars, I will sell him the black parts for it. <laughs> I mean, Ethan's Ethan's sending this to me out of the goodness of his heart, so I have I have no uh, you know ground to stand on with with uh, my preference for black. I think by the goodness of my heart, I think you mean uh, shameless self promotion. Yeah, you know, same 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 difference. As well, Henry Ford said, uh, any color as long as it's not black. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, just as a point about this, this camera that's being built, I've I've seen Ethan hit it with. Well, I'm not sure if it was a hammer or not, but certainly he had it to one side, and he was he was giving it a good smacking um, with something. And then another point, I saw flames coming out of it as well. Oh, is a knife? He was stabbing it. <laughs> okay, <laughs> it's my rubber hammer knife. <laughs> <laughs> I've only nicked my finger through the entire skin once this week, but uh, that was from the chisel. <laughs> right. So, um, so yeah. So, um, so thank, thank, thank you, Ethan. Um, who else have gone here? Right. You've already heard him, Dave Shrimpton. Hello, Dave. Hello, hello, everybody. That's nice it. to be on again. Thank you very much for inviting me. Yeah, it's great, great to have you back, and and of course, just like Ethan, a a former guest on the show as well. So uh, th- thanks for being with us again. Thank um, you. And then we've got another former guest in the name of Greg, in the in the shape of Greg Opst. Hello, Greg. Hey guys, good to be back again. It's fantastic to have you on again, Greg. It was uh, it was great when you were on the show last time, and it's great to see you. Well, we didn't see you last time actually, so uh, it's 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 a bit bit weird seeing. Although my my pictures aren't working, so uh, there you go. You can't see me; you've just got a black image. But well, there you go. But uh, it's great to have you with us again, uh, Greg. Um, and then you've uh, earlier on you heard Jason Lane um, chipping in with a, a little bit of advice, and he's also been uh, plugging his, his 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 products to uh, to to Andre and putting them off as well. So um, hello, Jason. Well, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> hey guys, how you doing? <laughs> That's it. So uh, so Jason is a a former guest on the show again, um, and he was on uh, talking about the dry plate holders, which are actually they're they're going out now as well, aren't they? Yeah, there's been quite a few of uh, have have received them already. So uh, yeah, we're pretty excited. Been getting some good feedback. So and those are sold at at Freestyle, right, Jason? Uh, The whole they will be. So all the uh, all the holders are going out to the backers for the Kickstarter campaign, and the the rest of the production run is on its way here. and, and once they get here and I've gone through them and, and put some more together, then, then, yeah, very likely I think Freestyle is going to pick them up. Great. So I will head over on one of my lunch breaks down to, to Freestyle and, and, and pick one up. Is it compatible with my camera? Yes. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. Sweet. Excellent. And then we've Analog got... Wonder, Analog Wonderland in the UK, Jason, is that... How are those chats going, all, all Steve? You missed Steve Lloyd out, by the no, way. No, I was. I, yeah, well, he, he started off. He's as, heading that way next, I think. Yeah, well, not, not quite. I'm, I'm putting you down as under S, so I'm. I'm. Uh, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll get to Steve. <laughs> don't worry. Okay. Um, so yeah, Analog Wonderland. You were nodding your head, Steve. Yeah, but he can't answer until uh, okay. until we get to him. You see, so uh, there okay. you go. <laughs> He's been good now. <laughs> um, and then Jimmy Hickford, um, who's uh, doing our our video uh, recording today. So this show will go out on uh, YouTube if you if you wish to see uh, what's what's been going on. Um, so hello, Jimmy. Evening, guys. Great to have you with us again, and um, you did a great job for us last time for two Tunnox bars, um, so perhaps it's going to be three Tunnox bars this time, so uh, <laughs> <laughs> thanks again, Jimmy. Um, yeah, and then we've got John Money, who got mentioned uh, earlier on uh, because of donating an enlarger. Hello, John. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. 
Thank you for having me. <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that the Truman Show you just done there? Hello, good I, evening. I think it is, yeah. yeah. Something, something like that. So, uh, yeah, um, so great to have you with us, John. Um, and then we've got uh, another former guest in the shape of Joseph Brunches. Hello, Joseph. Hello. It's great to have you with us again. Yeah, thank you. Oh, I and think the, the only person in this group that I've actually met in person is Ethan. So hello again, Ethan. <laughs> and just uh, on your on your video feed, you got your is that your that's a Chamonix in the background, isn't it? There. Uh, oh yeah, it's eleven by fourteen. Oh, that's a beautiful thing. Wow. Yeah. And some yeah, very and some very large, uh, I assume, uh, printed uh, darkroom printed uh, prints on the wall there as well. Oh yeah, I I just got a roll uh, a rollback for my Epson printer, so I've been printing um, sixteen by fifty two inch prints. Why? Wow. So what I did was I made um, I kind of made a pseudo uh, circuit camera out of a bunch of four by five shots. So I just did a bunch of overlaps of four by five shots of some still still scenes, and then spliced them together in Photoshop, and then made mega prints out of them. So there you go, Andrew. That's how you do it. Hmm. Better. It's a lot cheaper than buying a circuit camera in the film. Right. And uh, so uh, thank, thank you, Joseph. And then we also have uh, Nick Lyle, who's been pretty much heckling uh, mm. in, in the chat all the way through this podcast and putting us off uh, quite, quite royally. Um, so um, hello, Nick. Hello. I don't think I'll ever be able to put you off your stride, Simon. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. You have a couple of times already. Um, great to have you with us, Nick. Um, and... Um, uh, last but not certainly not least, Steve Lloyd of Chroma Camera. Hello, Steve. Yeah, right, Simon. How's it going, mate? It's going well. It's going well. Good to see you again. Although you know, I'm, it must, it's, on, it must, it's been a while. It must, yeah, it must be about ten days since the last saw you. So uh, at least. Yeah, and in in those ten days, um, or perhaps it's taken you a little bit longer than ten days. But you you've been yeah. well, you've been setting the internet on fire yesterday or last night, haven't you? Uh, yeah, a little bit. I wasn't. Uh, I wasn't quite expecting the the response. To be fair, although anything Instax related does get quite exciting, doesn't it? Yeah, but it's not. It's not just the Instax one, though. I mean, I'm I'm not even going to talk about the Instax one. <laughs> Let's. I bet the uh, there was there was a picture of a uh, electronic large format shutter mm -hmm. um, stuck in front of my Aero Ektar uh, that you've had since yes. lockdown, and um, and so <laughs> so. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. It's something I've been working on with uh, Dave Walker. I don't know if anyone saw it, but he built a um, basically a global electronic shutter for his box camera um, a few months back. And I kind of got in touch with him through Instagram to basically put forward the idea of going a bit nuts and supersizing it to large format. So we've been working on that together for the last uh, probably about two months so lots of late nights kind of one in the morning conversations really more sleep um so we've been back and forth on the design and dave's like a arduino genius so he's been doing the coding and i've designed the kind of holder for it and the the um the remote so we've now got a, a functioning um 90 mil diameter global electronic shutter that will fit on any lens so I say, as you say, it's sitting on your area at the moment on my adventure. Um, and as a bit of a test bed, I built the same shutter with an Arduino controller inside an Insax wide body with a, a Kiev 88 lens because I like to make things difficult for myself. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I actually managed to get probably the first shot off that last night 
kind of two point eight eighth of a second electronic shutter, and, and it worked, which is always nice. Yeah. So, what kind of uh, is it capable of, Steve? What sorry? What kind of shutter speeds is it capable of? Uh, at the moment, it's coded to the fastest it will go is a sixtieth of a second. Um, that's mainly down to the panels we're using. There, they're just commercial panels. So, we're, Dave's been chatting to a, a manufacturer of panels to have some uh, more custom units made that will should give us some faster shot speeds. Uh, and then I've, we've coded everything then down from sixtieth, so uh, right back as far as eight seconds, then bulb and timed. So you kind of cover all bases up to that. The the panels that we're using now have about um, two stops of sort of ND filtration when the when the shutter's open. So again, the better panels I think we'll be we'll be using will will remove most of that. Um, but functionally, it works. It's a it's a nice beta unit. I'd say the unit on the on the large format uh, lens works in the same way at the moment. Steve, when the question that everyone wants to know is a when will it be available and what the price point is? No need to put you on the spot, really. <laughs> ah, that might be on the spot. Doesn't bother me. Um, when it will be available? Um, me and Dave are actually talking right now um, while I'm on here as well, looking at uh, manufacturers say for the components. So he's been chatting to a couple of uh, Far Eastern manufacturer of the panels. We need to figure out what what kind of costings we can get those for. Um, and the controllers, I would like to bring it in under 150 for a, mm. a, a large format shutter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of trying to make things affordable. I'm not, yeah. I'm not really a particularly big fan of going, you know, it's going to be this untouchable product that three people in the world will afford to buy. Um, <laughs> sorry, I've just seen a comment there. Cheers, Nick. Yeah. <laughs> Put me down for one. Um, so, you know, I've, I, I want things to be. Um, realistic so that that's the kind of target I'm looking at uh, is it the sort of thing you might want to do Kickstarter for or wouldn't it's a bit too niche is it a bit too niche for Kickstarter I think think well to be fair I mean they say myself and Jason have just done a uh, 120 year old uh, process that's quite niche Um, (laughs) so I think niches are uh, middle name, but yeah, yeah, yeah I think, true, I think yeah. it'll it'll have to be a Kickstarter thing, just for the funding point of view. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm I'm tiny. <laughs> I don't have the funds or the resource behind me to yeah. to bring yeah. it any other way, really, other than maybe some beta units. Um, so I just got a question there, Joseph. The largest lens, um, the actual the front of the lens is largely irrelevant. I will make the the mount fit whatever lens the actual panels that we use and give us a 90 mil 90 millimeter diameter sort of shutter and so just so that i'm clear as the as the large format beginner mm-hmm. here so the idea of this is so that you can use it with barrel lenses that don't have built-in yeah. shutters correct cool. yeah yeah so if, if you don't want to use a top hat to cover your uh, cover your lens or you know a dark slide or however you want to mm-hmm. do it or a guillotine shutter things like that then yeah the idea is it'll just slot over the front like a, a coking style filter um, or a bowler hat. Yeah, as AJ says. So. How big is that, Andrew? The reason I was asking 85 was millimeters. I was looking yeah, for something for this. Wow. How big is that, Joseph? Yeah, that's, that's, that's about big. five inches across. Okay, inches look, across. <laughs> I can see where this is going. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> How heavy yeah, is it? Who's got the bigger lens? We've had this thing before. There, there goes Nick. Look, I knew he couldn't resist it. So this is pure. I'll, 
podcast gold. Right? If you're not watching this on on video on YouTube, you need to. So first of all, because I I held mine up first. Yeah, that's about 85, 85 millimeters. So that'll be okay, wouldn't it? Yeah, that'd be fine. We're just glad you can still get it up, Andrew. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, from a panel point of view, obviously, the other panels I'm using at the moment, which are, are off-the-shelf panels, um, I don't know as yet, but we could potentially look at larger panels as well if we're going to the manufacturers anyway. It's early days from, <clears throat> from part-wise, but um, I think 90 mil will probably cover a lot of lenses unless you mega barrel lenses like the ones here. Um, I've also designed a, a, a drop-in version that goes for specifically for chroma that's a magnetic mount that fits behind the front standard uh, that was like the first design that i did kind of dropped in behind the aero but i then moved to a more kind of general mount with the front the front mount so yeah so that's quite exciting it, it is kind of it is really made exciting. up everyone kind of took it quite well last night so yeah no like you should be, be... i think what you're doing with chroma camera from you know that the early days when you were you know, you were touting around your acrylic camera and you yeah. know, to, to, to the strides you've made and, you know, the way you're thinking and the creativity you're showing, I think you should be applauded and it's brilliant for encouraging, you know, youngsters Thank like you. Andre Dominguez to come into the... Uh, I know he hasn't bought one of your cameras yet, but, you know... Uh, no, maybe, not yet, but, maybe. you know, see if you do want to send Give one time. testing to the, to the Negative Positives podcast, but um, no, no, but seriously, one of the things that I find really interesting is that, you know, let's say if, if you're in, in 35 millimeter or medium format, you could settle into something of like a, of a system that, that you like, let's say like a Nikon F3 and then start buying a bunch of lenses or like a Pentax 6.7 and buying a bunch of lenses. What I find extremely interesting about 4x5 is that more so than any other format, it makes me want to have different cameras for different purposes. Something like uh, Ethan is working on right now, a Camerodactyl OG that can fit a Graphmatic back. I'm super excited to, to use that for, you know, six shots of just fun, wide angle, uh, you know, casual street photography. Yeah. On the other end of things, you know, my, my new to me Bush Pressman 4x5, I want to, to start doing some like handheld, uh, you know, more of a normal lens looking street mm -hmm. portraits of, uh, of folks on the street and then making contact prints that I can that I can uh, mail to them down the line, having something that's a little bit more flexible, like a carbon adventure uh, that can shoot, you know, obviously normal double dark slides. Uh, uh, chromographica uh, plate holders, you know, roll film backs, uh, using barrel lenses that that you know mine can't take because yep. the actual opening is is too small. Like, it, it's just a huge rabbit hole to fall down that I haven't really had in in a while. I mean, I, I've been shooting for about five six years now, and it's it's funny how with thirty five and medium format you can kind of get to a point where it's like, you know, I can make my images better. But there's not that nerdy, gassy, like, I can just get lost in all of this. And it's fun to, to be, you know, right at the edge of that rabbit hole again. Well, that's a, that's a good point now okay. to kick us off on some of your, uh, your, your questions um, and things that you would like, like to know more of. So uh, take it away, Andre. Let's, let's see if we can help you out. Sure. So, uh, I mean, we, we already uh, <laughs> introduced the, the, the whole question of if size matters. But one thing that I do want to ask is, d 
does your loop size and magnification matter quite a bit? Are there certain ones that are better than others? I've got one that's like a teeny tiny uh, little one that's seven times and one that's much bigger that I use on my light table that's also seven times magnification. But in, in y'all's view, being somebody who's, who's pretty new to focusing on the ground glass, you know, where do you, what do you use? Where do you get started? Uh, fire away. Well, if I, if I can kick off that, I think magne- if you're going to use a loop, then you probably don't realistically want to go any more than six times, Andre. Okay, trust me on that. Four times or six times is absolutely enough. Any bigger than that, it starts becoming really difficult. Um, I don't know whether that's someone here is probably going to explain to me why it is difficult, but it is four to six times. Personally, I don't know. You're a spectacle wearer. Are you uh, myopic in your prescription? Are you short sighted, Andre? Or I can see things close, things far away without my glasses. I can't see whatever that. When I I take my glasses off, you've all disappeared into one sort of haze. And if I get to that there with my microphone, people, this is great TV again. I've got a focal distance of about mm, six inches, four to six inches. So actually, if you're short-sighted, it's great because I can get right close to the ground glass and I don't really need the loop. I I have a a four times or a six times fancy Schneider or something, I think. But I don't think I ever get it out. So I... uh, You're saying you're literally loopy then. (laughs) <laughs> yeah so can one of you clever people explain to me why it is four times or six well, times is kind of perfect i, th- but I think you go above, i think jason lane was just about to do that and uh just for go. just for anybody um that's uh unaware of jason lane apart from uh, making dry plates and uh and holders yeah. and things like that he's also an optical engineer as well so we've yeah. said to do with lenses uh jason's we'll jason uh yeah so i can make stuff up and you guys would never know um <laughs> uh, that's true now, f- four to six, it, it makes a lot of sense, Andrew. Um, I think if you get too high of a magnification, the actual um, the the structure of the ground glass, which is, gra- I, I don't know if folks know this, but ground glass is really just a uh, a lot of micro cracks on the on the surface of the glass. Uh, I, I think you start that starts um, being resolved, the individual cracks, and, and it sort of interferes with with seeing the image. Personally, I have a, a, a an old throwaway um, uh, magnifier off of um, I forget the actual TLR, but but the but the magnifier off a twin lens reflex. Oh yeah, and I use that, and mm-hmm. and uh, it's nice. And I wish I could remember the brand name, but it was removable, intended to be removable, and so when I place that up against the ground glass, it's in focus, and that's that's good enough for me. It works really well. And it folds up and stuff too, and and I can put it in my pocket and stuff, or or lose it, which I do often. But um, yeah, that that's probably right in that range too. It it makes a lot of sense. What you need to get yourself, Andre, is a uh, Amazon Basics shower hanger thingy bob. Okay. Now, what I mean by that is <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say break break that down for me because I'm not right, I'm not just, um, If you just wait a second, talk about yourself. The other thing, um, I think there's a photo of it on the group. So, just get a lano, uh, hang it around your neck. 
just just while we're wait, waiting for Andrew to dig his, uh, his, his shower technique, and uh, just a, a, just a quick question about anybody that uses anything outside of uh, between four to six. Does, does anybody in this group use something <laughs> yeah. more more magnifying or less magnifying? So I've actually been making those micro scratches while you guys were talking, uh, making some ground glasses, and I have found um, you know within a certain range within the endpoints. Um, you can make very fine or very coarse scratches in a ground glass. And it tends to be, I think, that the coarser the scratches, uh, the more light that's going to be picked up by each pixel or, or equivalent of a pixel, right? And you get a brighter ground glass that is harder to focus on um, or harder to focus on with a extreme magnification. Um, if you have a very fine grind, like, um, I think I've been using something like 200 grit uh, grinding compound. Um, I've ground things up to 800 grit where you can get a really big magnification because the uh, scratches in the ground glass are very, very fine. But the problem is then it becomes extremely dim. So I, I think there's kind of a trade-off and I have a bunch of different loops for different types of ground glasses. So... You know, if I'm shooting studio work, not that I always choose my ground glass depending upon what I'm doing, but if I have a very fine ground glass because I can turn all the lights on and turn the, the uh, modeling lamps on and see things in, in the dim and get extremely good, you know, focus with like a 10 or 12x loop. But yeah, I mean, usually I'm using a 4x on these guys, which are, um, you know, both dim and scratchy because they're acrylic. Generally, I don't need to use the ground glass. Okay. So the, the thing is, when, once you've got your loop, along with all your other large format accessories, you either need a photographer's waistcoat, right, or you need an Amazon Basics bag, which um, unzips. So it has a hook on it to hang on your tripod. And in there, I keep filters, a spot meter, uh, a, gray, a fold-up gray card, um, a loop if I bothered to have it, some filter holders, and all that kind of stuff. You know the kind of stuff that you just don't know what to do with? You're out in the field. You get yourself one of those and hang it on there. And, and that uh, can just hang on the, on the bottom of the tripod. It just hangs on your tripod, and it, it gives you a little bit of extra weight. And then when, you, when you're done, you can just slip things in there. And all, So all your little odds and sods, your little bits and pieces that you lose, you know? How many times do you tap in your pockets looking for something you know you know you put something in a pocket somewhere and stick oh, it in thank there you for the, thank you for the suggestion andrew there you go sure to take a look at that <laughs> all right well i mean thank you guys for for answering that are you ready to move on to the next question mm -hmm. yeah i think so all right so my one of the reasons why it took me a while to get back into large format was because my experience with it in college was pretty miserable we had an old rickety uh four by five uh field camera that you know there was a fair amount of like play in it. It didn't feel like this uh, solid uh, light type thing. There was probably some pinholes in the bellows, you know, from, from many years of just being battered around by students, not knowing what the hell they were doing, myself included. And the ground glass on it and the lens that I was using of this you know, old 90 uh, F8 was so dim and hard to, to see that I just kind of, you know, assume that, yeah, there's probably a, a better camera, better ground glass, et cetera, a, a faster lens. It's probably a little bit brighter, but not by much. Obviously, having seen some new things uh, since then, 
I know that you can actually get things a lot brighter. But on the topic of Fresnel lenses, uh, what are y'all's opinions on them? Also, where should they go? What kind should you pick if you do choose to use one? Anybody got a burning desire to talk about Fresnels? I can. I use acrylic Fresnel. You stuck your hand up first, mate. Yeah, sorry, come on. I jumped in there. Oh, okay. Um, My Chamonix 4x5 has the Fresnel lens on it, and my 8x10 and 11x14 do not. Um, I think it's useful for the smaller formats, but when it gets bigger, it's not... It's not really worth it. it uh, is there some? So, there's a lot of chitter chatter online. I've seen it about going and buying a five dollar magnifier thing, and then Mike Walker from Walker Cameras says, <laughs> "Oh no, you know you've got to watch the pitch of the Fresnel yeah. lenses, and you know you could make it worse." So. Yeah, it's basically the the uh, the coarseness of the concentric circles. Yeah. So those um, I've tested out the kind of cheap magnifiers and they and they work in that they, they brighten up the image but if you're going to use a loop they kind of take all the detail out of it really yeah one of the things also. that one of the things that i'm i'm interested for example is you know wanting to 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 use the the bush pressman handheld if there's any uh situation where i do want to use the ground glass just for framing um my my back doesn't have the little kind of cloth uh, corners for the hood they must have gotten ripped off at, at some point and so it can be really hard to see that in in daylight if I don't have a dark cloth over it if I'm using it handheld so that was a potential idea that I had was well if I'm using it handheld maybe adding a Fresnel lens there will brighten things up I'm not going to be focusing on the on the actual ground glass I've got the top mounted rangefinder. I'm probably going to be stopping down quite a bit. I've got the focusing scale on the bed and the sports finder. So I, everything's going to be approximated in, in using the wiggle room of the of the depth of field. But for, for just kind of checking uh, my corners, especially in daylight, uh, and having that be bright enough to where I can actually see them, that's something that I'm potentially interested in. Nick? Yeah, so uh, with... I use a lot of press cameras, and they often come with a Fresnel, uh, like the, at least the uh, Crown Graphics come with a fre- Fresnel lens. And they do really help for that holding it up quick and hasty work. And that's fine if you're going to stop down a bit and act like a press photographer. You don't really need to scrutinize the ground glass to focus if you're stopped down enough. Um, but if you do need to, another trick that I use is they make these hoodman loops for looking at the LCD screen on the back of a... Um, digital camera uh, and I've got one here you can see it's basically a black rubber uh, thing that almost covers six by nine mm-hmm. it has adjustable diopter um, so you can make it focus with your eyesight you do have to take your glasses off but what I suggest for large format is that you attach a, a black cardboard uh, sheet to it so that you can black out the whole ground glass and then slide it around to inspect the corners because the biggest problem is is the the light that's coming in um, and, and making it hard to see the ground glass. So it basically replaces a dark cloth with a dark loop. Um, and that I use that a lot with medium format ground glass, but you could use it, as I mentioned, with a cardboard uh, shade on a large format camera. Um, and it's fast. You can just pick it up, put it there, and then set it down. 
doesn't have to be uh, you don't have to change the configuration of the camera to use it awesome <clears throat> thank you Nick. i appreciate it sorry go on no, so if you take a look at dave burnett's work for the 2012 olympics mm. he shot with a speed graphic with the aero Hector and a cambo back on it um the cambo back is very much like nick was just saying it just clips straight on the back and it's got an eye viewer and a mirror in it so it flips the image the other way around and it's just in bright sunlight you can see everything and you can focus down to a to an to an eyelash so i recommend one of those definitely that that's not one of these like uh, i've also been seeing these like reflex finders that also correct the the upside down uh, thing i'll get it and show it to you i'll go and get it carry on chatting so i suppose sure. what the what the answer to your question really andre is um you know if you're going to use four or five handheld and you want to make life as easy as possible what's the best you know what's what, what's the best way i mean yeah, steve, like, steve steve is making uh, handheld you know four or five cameras aren't you or yeah you are aren't you, steve? and and so is ethan yeah <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i put my finales underneath the glass with the the rough side if you like facing mm -hmm. the glass um and so they, they brighten up the image basically and certainly the handheld stuff they they make a big difference um for your kind of quicker work uh yeah it, it's very personal personal preference with using loop and uh, because the focus even, point the focus point is still on the ground glass isn't it the fresnel mm -hmm. is just yeah. intensifying the light rays yeah the the, well, no, the ground glass. no they're not no. That, uh, jason is jumping out of his seat maybe ah. right it <laughs> yeah. the if you don't move the glass yeah of the light rays so it doesn't actually make anything brighter it just changes where they all go which is why i do not like them uh because okay. and like joby was saying you can't really use one on a really large large format back right because uh if if all the light is hitting and scattering at the film plane and then you put a fresnel over it it concentrates it to one point right so you're uh, yeah. actually just seeing more of the light there is no more light but the problem with like an 11 by 14 is the focus point then is you know many feet back and you can't uh really use it effectively and so i i actually dislike fresnel lenses um mm. because it makes it kind of hard to check sharpness on the edge uh kind of in line with the lens maybe jason can explain a little bit better yeah, so I, Ethan, I think I agree with you on the larger formats. I, I, uh, I'm relatively new to large format, to be honest myself. I got into it four or five years ago, and uh, with a speed graphic, uh, which did not have a Fresnel lens, and and I had trouble seeing, seeing the whole, uh, the whole ground glass, which for the four by five I kind of wanted to see for composition, and so I looked into, to. Um, you know, a, a Fresnel lens, if you pick the right one and put it in the right place, then it works really well. And what what I uh, figured out looking into it from my lens design perspective was um, if you're going to put an aftermarket Fresnel lens on, the easiest, most uh, non-intrusive way to do that is put it after the ground glass and you select a Fresnel lens that's roughly the, the focal length of the lenses that you put on there. Mm. Um, and it and it's um, from my perspective, it works a lot like a condenser lens does. Um, and I won't put you guys to sleep explaining that. So anymore. you're not moving. But, you're not moving the rough side of your ground glass. That's staying yeah. in the focus plane. You're, yeah, you're, and, the, and yes, 
Yes, and the reason for that is to maintain focus. So yeah. when you put the when you put the Fresnel lens in front of the ground glass, you actually offset the focus distance not by the actual thickness of the Fresnel lens, but the uh, the optical path length. So the index because, refraction of the plastic because they are focusing, right? So um, when you say in, sorry, Jason, when you say in front, you mean towards the lens, don't you? Is that what you mean? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Unless you're taking a selfie, I guess, and that would be... Yeah, well, I just need to so, be clear. <laughs> so you, so so I put the my Fresnel lens uh, between myself and the ground glass. Yes. And that, 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 that worked really well for the 4x5. For the, for the um, and I just picked the cheap one off of eBay. I guess I'm not that picky. But, but and do you I... just, like, hold it on top of there? No, I... I uh, so I unscrewed the... There's... Um, I think the Bushman is 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 similar, where there's there's uh, retainers that hold the ground glass in place, and so uh, you know I took those off. Yeah, like Ethan's, uh, I took those off and 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 stuck it behind there. And you know, since I'm paranoid, a paranoid engineer, I, I double check measurements and stuff. And right. And uh, so when you so but when you're buying a Fresnel lens, can you? see somewhere on the site uh, what, what focal length it has then does that is that yeah oh. yeah okay. it, it, and if they don't sh if they don't uh tell you what the focal length is and forget it go go okay. find another one mm -hmm. right. brilliant that's fantastic information and and to ethan's point for the so i did the same thing for my whole plate camera and for my eight by ten and uh yeah like like he said you have to start getting so far back from the from the thing that you know, I can't fit underneath the my my jacket, which I use as a dark cloth. So, mm. uh, but so I still have to move my head around a little bit. But it's it it is useful at least. My, to me. my only experience, I had a uh, I had one fitted. I think it came with it on my bomb camera, and uh, that's right because he sent me all the way from Italy a replacement ground glass, and it had Fresnel with it as well. Yeah. And I actually found it a lot harder to focus for that very reason. I found I couldn't see the image clearly. I was moving my head around, and I don't know whether it was just the wrong one, but I took it off, and yeah. and I can now see the whole image yeah. without without bits of it going dark. You know, that's what was happening. That was a, It was a weird optical yeah. aberration. Yeah, maybe, or, or maybe the focal length of the Fresnel was... was 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 different than what the lenses were yeah. that you had on yeah. there. Anyway, I took it off and I just got the ground glass, and it's yeah. fine. I had another, I had another four by five that had had a ground glass and a Fresnel on it, and and the Fresnel was in front of the ground glass, and this is part of why I started digging into it, and I was getting focus issues mm. with that, and so I, so I did a bunch of measurements and um, calculating and stuff like that, and figured out that. Uh, that that must have been an aftermarket Fresnel that uh, that wasn't accounted for in, in the in the stack up of, of distances, and when I put it behind the ground glass, everything came into focus. So, um, you know, if you do have a if you do get a, a a large format camera that has a Fresnel on it, and you're getting focus issues, that's that, that was the first thing I look at. Can we can we because I've, I've just noticed in in the chat there there've been a few questions. Just in clarification, so in in very simple terms, can we talk about where the Fresnel will go, and also uh, which way round the ground glass goes, 
um, just in in very simple terms, just as a as a quick summary. Jason, uh, <laughs> I, it it kind of depends on on what the original intent of the camera was, um, but there there's only so many combinations of, of ground glass and Fresnel that you can try out. Um, I, I think for the most part, it, it's ground glass with the ground surface facing the lens mm -hmm. and then the Fresnel afterwards. Although there are exceptions. Uh, I, I've seen the Fresnel in front uh, be heat between the lens and the ground glass. Uh, I think almost universally the ground glass is facing towards the the lens so yeah. the front of the camera but um mm -hmm. you know if you get if you if you're really particular about focus and you know your focusing is good but you're still seeing um a, a, a change in your focus point and your developed uh negatives then then that might be something to look at you know all about that, Simon, don't you? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, uh, um, although that that wasn't with the uh, Fresnel, uh, but the, the the camera no. I was using uh, doesn't have one. And actually, that's that's another thing I'm I'm particularly interested in this subject because I was out with um, um, oh I forgot the name Gray Gray no, Grainy Blur. What's his what's his name? Purcell. Alex Purcell. Alex, Alex Purcell, yeah. I said I know him better from his Twitter handle. And it was, yeah. Anyway, so uh, I was out with him uh, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, I was using for the first time uh, my 75mm. Actually, no, I used that before. It was the first, second time out with it, but I hadn't seen any pictures developed with it. Uh, with my 75mm, as, um, and as they say in Scotland, Grand Dagen um uh, lens <laughs> and um and it, i think it's a six it's a six point something it's optically fast lens and uh, it was dark and my meridian uh as in it, the 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 screen was dark and my meridian camera uh, doesn't have a fresnel and i i knew that it was possible to use this lens but I actually didn't realize that it wasn't particularly compatible when it's in portrait mode. Um, so because it was just too wide for it to be in, in, in portrait. Um, is, that, is that you tapping those, uh, that keyboard there, uh, Jason? Um, I don't know. Somebody, somebody, no, that's right? Steve. Is that Steve, is it? All right. Shut up. Yes. <laughs> Thanks, Steve. Uh, um, with his Cray, Cray supercomputer behind him as well, which I've only just noticed. Um, and... Um, uh, yeah, so the the point being is I, I got the shots back, or rather um, Alex actually developed two of them for me uh, because I, I borrowed a, a holder from him and he, he took that back and uh, did a great job of developing them, um, except the, the, the shots are, aren't actually 4x5 because uh, the, the bed of my camera, because I shot in portrait mode, uh, the bed of my camera was well and truly in the shot and it was cropping the shot and I had no idea at the time when I was taking the shot that I was actually, I, I just simply couldn't see the edges at all. So Fresnel would have, would have been incredibly useful for me in that particular shot. But just quickly going back to Jason's point um, about focal lens and having the correct one. Um, well, does that mean you, you, you swap out Fresnels depending on what, what lens you're using? No, I, I, I don't. So, but, but granted, I, I don't uh, use really wide, uh, lenses. I'm, I'm sort of in the the normal focal length to to a little bit uh, narrow, but I I think in general if you get close, that's that's good enough. Um, I I'll, I will add that uh, I, I know this doesn't apply to uh, Andre, but uh, for folks who buy 
who come across uh, really antique cameras. So cameras that were out before Fresnel lenses were even even made. Uh, you know, it's just a ground glass. If you wanted to add one to it, add it. Use use that rule of thumb, roughly the focal length of the lenses that you shoot, and and put it uh, behind the ground glass. So between you and the and the ground glass, uh, with with the grooves facing the the glass, just to protect them, I think is a good good approach. And anybody, right. else, anybody else got any questions for on on uh, answers on that one? Um, shoot SLR. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, definitely. The large format SLR. I mean, uh, that was one of the uh, is it, the, the small one uh, Dave brought to 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 my house, the two by three SLR. And I've got yeah. to say that was just fantastic. Just looking looking at an image through a through an S, and a large format image, although it was two by three or four. Actually, no, it was four by four, isn't it? Four inches by four inches was the uh, yeah uh, that yeah. had that's configured, um, and that's just beautiful. So, and I, and I have to say that uh, of all the um, the large form, well, the, certainly the five four speed graphics and crowns, I'd never ever ever shoot with um, anything apart from looking on the ground glass screen with a linen tester. I'd, ne I'd never used a rangefinder ever. I mean, I can't think why I'd ever want to use a rangefinder, really. Um, so I always use a tripod, unless I'm shooting with an SLR. But if you're shot starting with large format, honestly, I would seriously recommend a tin can. Um, <laughs> five before, tin can. Uh, you will learn so much from that. It's free. You know, Andrew, you've made them, you know. Mm -hmm. Literally take you half a day to make one. And this yep. has taken one of the best pictures I've ever taken. Yeah, and no, they're great. Seriously, and they're pinhole. You will well, learn so everybody. much, and you will be in the dark room and go for it. Free Thank cameras. Thank you, Dave. <laughs> I appreciate it. So you can get right back to pinhole photography, Andre, and large format. Yeah, and then well, there are some really, there are some really, some really sexy, um, beautifully made wooden large format pinhole cameras, or you can make one if you're skillful. Uh, skillful I am not and I, I don't go around power tools ever since my heart surgery I'm on blood thinners and I, I stay well away well you get yourself some black get yourself some black foam core and you can make yourself anything yeah. <laughs> anyway have we, def right. have we defeated the Fresnel question there I think so I think so uh, you guys ready for next uh, two-parter mm-hmm so one of the things that, that I was noticing the other day when I was shooting was I started just getting paranoid and thinking to myself, A, is it bad to leave your shutter cocked mm -hmm. for a long period of time? And B, mm -hmm. in the case of, of uh, my camera, I've got a Graphmatic back in the, in the spring back. And obviously being thicker, it's, it's putting more pressure on, uh, on those springs than a normal you know, thinner double dark slide. So is it bad to keep the Graphmatic in the spring back for a long period of time? Or if, if I'm you know, not using it, not at home, should I take it out? Yeah. Take it out. Definitely yeah. take it out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. As far as the lens go, I mean, I, I, it's probably a good idea not to leave it cocked. Certainly on my RB lenses, you know, you just take them off and press something on the back and you just release the shutter in the RB lenses. So I'm guessing it's the same with large format unless someone's going to say different. I think I would always deactivate everything and I don't know half yeah. as much as all you guys know, but you know, it's a bit like this thing here has got two spring tensions in it uh, and I just turn them all off when I'm not using it. It kind of makes sense, so, doesn't it? it yeah. I think so. Why put the camera, any camera under stress or any parts yeah. under stress? Yeah. So. Yeah. 
Yeah, I noticed that there were that there were some some times when I was shooting with the with the Graphmatic that I would see something and, and be like, oh, I want to take a picture of that. So I would go ahead and and you know pull out the the dark slide right to, yeah. to cycle another sheet to the front and, and kind of make it live. It's got the little red dot. Um, you know, cock my lens and then end up deciding like, no, you know, that, that wasn't right. And then now I'm walking, you know, potentially five, 10, 15, 20 minutes. Hell, it could be an hour or so until I find another thing that I want to take a picture of. And I can't put, I can't slide a, slide a dark slide back in on the Graphmatic. So it's, it's live and I can't do. Andre, hours are fine. You know, we're talking months. Of yeah. Yeah, like I'll just say, days, uh, weeks, yeah. You're, you're not going to break anything. No, yeah, if you're going to put lenses into storage. When you finish yeah, I, at the end of the day, turn it all off, yeah. Sounds good. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I do the same with mine, too. I'll walk around or I'll have a, have a client in the studio, and it'll be set for an hour or sometimes during a change, but yeah. I have no problem with it at all. But over no. time, yeah, just like with RB and RZ lenses, you don't want to leave. Yeah. Yeah. yeah just just as a as a as an aside to to all this uh, it, it's it's also good practice and i'm not saying that i do this but I, perhaps i should um but if you have a, a relatively large collection of lenses and cameras and things like that uh, with mechanical parts on them um it's a good idea to to use them not necessarily run any, any film through them but periodically i, I mean what that yep. is don't know it could it could be every six months or whatever but it's a good thing to to hit the shutters and uh, open the apertures up and close them down and so on yeah. because the, the, so many lenses and, and yeah my experience is more in the smaller formats um, but lots of lenses that are excellent lenses and they, they was put away and it was put away in a dry place and and stored and so on and it was great when i when i last used it and then you bring it out and and the the aperture stuck, um, yeah. and and stuff like that. And the aperture stuck because it hasn't been used. Mm-hmm. And you know, so the amount of times I see beautiful, beautiful pieces of equipment that just simply don't work anymore because they've not been used. It, I, I, I've I've lost count. So if you do have a lot of gear, then it's a good idea every now and again go out there and just press all the buttons on everything. And take yeah, your batteries absolutely. Out. I agree with that. That's a good point, oh, Andre. With your Bush Pressman camera, I'd, so is it the Speed Graphics that had those fancy red lights that acted as a rangefinder in the dark? Somebody tell me. You, I think, you know that, yeah, I think those are some Speed Graphics. It's and they don't have it projects like to yeah. light things, and they yeah. meet up. That it's, sounds the coolest thing ever. Yeah, it's not specific to to Speed Graphics. So you're talking mainly about the CalArt. Uh, rangefinders and there may be other makes that that, that did this as okay. well uh, because uh, i mean my meridian uh, uses a, a very similar calart uh, rangefinder and you can you can convert them and put make them shine laser beams out at them and uh, well that's uh, right because people think they're going to get shot don't they if they've got, suddenly you've got this thing on their forehead exactly it must yeah. be fantastic yeah um, but yeah that's 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 a it's more about a brand of rangefinders rather than being specific to cameras that right like no i just heard i think it was on the fpp I heard uh, somebody talking about them, and uh, yeah, he so discovered for the first time that he actually had a, yeah, didn't know what it was, and suddenly realized that it was a thing for focusing in the dark. Yeah, Mark Dozel's got got a graphic that does that. Yeah, that was Mark, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. That's it. I, I want to say that's only on the modern ones, uh, relatively speaking, from, I think, the 70s. The, all the older CalArt rangefinders 
uh, lack that. It's the, the ones that you see that where the rangefinder is on top of the camera. It's like a little box on top of the camera. Those are the modern ones, that, and they usually have battery damage because people forget that there's a battery in there to operate that. What, okay. what, what, what do you mean by modern, by the way, Nick? 70s, <laughs> I think. 70s, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because I'm, well, that's the thing. Because my, my Meridian is from 1949 and it's got an original Calart <laughs> on it, and that has the uh, it's got the battery it's got the battery contacts um, for for doing sure, just that, yeah. and it's on the side as well, so. It does go back a long way, that. Although it obviously doesn't shine laser beams, but, you know, that's if you convert, con sure. convert them. Yeah, but not on uh, the, the graphic models. I think they didn't introduce those until the later later models. I, I can see that your Meridian is more advanced, but uh, at least in the speed and crown graphics, it only shows up towards the end of their... Yeah. Yeah, yeah my 47 uh, pacemaker with the side-mounted CalArt doesn't have that. Otherwise, I'd be using that with my cat. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, next up. So I hear a lot of things, uh, especially once you start getting into darkroom printing, about people making sure that their film holders are free of dust. When you are actually kind of carrying them around with you, how do you store them? Do you guys put them in like plastic bags? And also another thing, I've got a couple double dark slides that don't have the little locking things to keep the dark slides from coming out. How do you prevent that? Do you put like tape over the the tops of them? Elastic band. Just put an elastic band yeah. straight around. It's easy. Yeah. Works every time. There's the also other thing is, can I suggest one thing you do? And I'll tell you this because all the mistakes I've made is I've taken all my dark slides out and I've written on them, exposed and new. So that one's new, and that one's exposed. Because mm. in the heat of a shoot, when I've got a model there or whatever, I always get it wrong, even though I've got the white and the black. And it mm -hmm. just, it helps. It's so simple, and it works every time. And yes, plastic bags, or if I'm just going out with six for the day, I've just got one of these little rubber bags. Um, yeah. And well, definitely vacuuming them out. You've got um, Mr. Stone, who makes the stone gear. So in your over the pond where you are, Andre. So this one holds five, I think. And again, it's got a neat bag on and it holds five um, sheet film holders. And then I keep yep. each of those in a, in a, in a Ziploc bag. Wayne, Wayne Setzer was, uh, was giving away this, this, you know, film holder holder, yeah. I guess that. Yeah, it's a bit like, it's a bit like the stone gear one. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, the the stone the stone is actually uh, sort of a, a throwback to the Ganass, um, which was the one that Wayne has. Yeah, um, they work out really well. There is a there is a guy right now on eBay that's selling replacement um, holder uh, latches. And oh, he sells really? them in, Oh, yeah. There's he sells them in groups of twelve or a uh, hundred, I think. Okay. Uh, so if you look on if you look online, um, yeah, he's selling them. I don't know how how easy it is to just grab one of those things and then screw them in. Um, I'm not sure if it's it possibly a threading situation where they could be, you know, threaded, you know, so that you couldn't uh, put them back in there, but it's, it might be worth a try. Yeah, okay, I'm not, I'm, I'm, Can I just show I'm, this? This So this is a 10-8 holder, right? I'm mm -hmm. just going to show this because look how cool this is on the end. I don't know if you guys can see it, but <laughs> yeah. there's a oh, that's neat. it just dials around. And it kind of, they can't ever pop out. And that's Victorian. 
and it's just so so smart, you know. Yeah. And yeah. It, on the like the shining light there on the graphmatic, it's got yeah just this little wheel, and that just mm-hmm. turns it's there, similar, isn't it? Yeah, interesting. Nice. It, if you're if you're trying to add that to the older wooden holders, um, on the wooden holders at least, they're just threaded in. So if you get one of those off of eBay, you can just screw it in. Um, I'm I'm not quite sure on newer plastic ones, uh, but in any case, I have a couple of holders that that I don't have those on, just just like you described, and, and I'm not smart enough to put a rubber band around them. I just no, I'm just care- careful. <laughs> I find once they're loaded up and they're inside a bag, I've never had a problem with one coming out. I've got loads that don't have those on. Yeah, there's there's enough friction on the dark slides, I think, that uh, that um, they, they don't just pop out, I guess. Certainly on the new uh, Chroma Graphica, is that what it's called, the plate, <laughs> yeah. dry plate, there's certainly enough yes. friction on those bad boys. I didn't think I was ever going to yeah. get the dark slide out, so <laughs> uh, they're not going to fall out accidentally. When you've got yeah. a bunch of, of uh, exposed film that hasn't been processed before, do you leave them in the in the film holders, or like, do you like go into a changing bag or or, or, or a dark room and like put them inside of a, a box until you're ready to develop them? How do you guys go about doing that? I don't have like a huge number of uh, actually everything I have right now is borrowed. The Graphmatic is borrowed. I've got four uh, double dark slides that are borrowed. Yeah, mine will go back in the box. Hmm. Yeah, I've got yeah, tons of boxes if you need them. I make a practice of uh, when I open a new box, right, there's like a cardboard divider and probably a few packs if you have a pack of 100. And so the bottom, you know, just however you want to do it, but just make yourself a system. So, like, for me, always the bottom uh, bag is exposed film or paper, and then the yep. top ones are new. And yep. so when I load, I also unload. But also I want to point out that, like, I start with Ziploc bags at the beginning of every trip. And then I wind up with just like, you know, you can put three in your back pocket. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't try and be too precious about it because uh, it's good to have big pockets. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if, if, if my pockets are big enough for that, Mister, Mister Moses. I don't have your, uh, your photographer jeans. <laughs> Maybe I will send you a pair. I think <laughs> use it as, a, as packing material for the, for when you send the OG. Andre, I don't think there's a firm answer to your to your question. The answer is really it, yeah, everybody's it, it got depends. their differences. When I've been a when I went to France for a, a few days, I knew I wasn't going to have enough dark slides film film holders with me, so I had a changing bag and I took at the end of the day I took the film out and put it in a box in the dark side, and I had one box for normal development, and then where I was shooting scenes where the contrast range was extreme. I labeled that box up as reduced development. So that's just a diff- slightly different subject. So that that's the flexibility of four or five photography. You can do that. But normally when I'm going out, I just load probably enough sheets up to fit the developing tank I'm going to use. And I come home and just, so I, I take six sheets out with me and I'll put them either in my um, 20th century camera spiral or my um, mod 54 yeah. Um, or I take four sheets out and put them in the SP four four five. So I take enough out. Probably six is what I go out with. It helps yeah. me concentrate, focus the mind, and then when I come back, I know I can develop them and just in all together in one tank. And I do the same. I, I always I always load per tank. So I either yeah. take three holders or six yeah. holders or nine yeah. holders. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. 
because yeah. I, I don't I don't want to have sheets just lying around. You know, I have enough of that with thirty five millimeter and one twenty. So yeah, I want well, to get those things done for for you and Dave. If you're taking out, you know, just the number of sheets for that will fit your developing tank. The the specific way that that you do your developing, Andrew, where if you've got a really high contrast lighting scene where your your subject brightness range is, is more than five stops, and then you're reducing your developing time. If you've got, let's say, you know, sun came out like from behind the clouds and you, you've got a shot where one of those is going to be like, all right, well, that's going to be the, the solitary sheet that's going to get the reduced development. Then do you like separate them in, into a different box? Yeah, what you're yeah, I have done in the past. The, these days I'm tending to use mostly either Pyrocat HD um, or I've started playing around with Caffanol CL. Mm-hmm. And so you don't need to worry quite so much about that. But if I'm if I'm developing in something like ID 11 one plus one, which is really still my standard, then um, I'll alternate between, uh, you know, a time that I've hit upon where I know I'm going to get a nice negative in the enlarger. And that'll be different to your time. And it might not even be the same as on the, you know, the, on the websites or on the, even on the on the film on the film guidelines, it, it's your own time. I know I want to get a print of you know grade two and a half or three as a standard, and I develop the negative for that. So um, uh, I would have a standard time, and then I would just cut it by probably twenty um, percent or something like that, twenty five percent. You know, for what you might want to call an N minus one development, if you want right. to call it that. As we're kind of getting into uh, topics of, of developing it in darkroom printing, you know, this is one of these where it, it may just be down to my relative uh, inexperience in the darkroom, but can you split grade print uh, contact prints? Uh, yeah, I would think so. Jo- Joseph's nodding his head sagely yeah. at the moment. So let's yeah, you can, use con- you, can use, you can use contrast filters, can't you, Joseph, on contact printing? Yes, you can. Yeah, because as long as it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It's like um, the filter is still the affecting the paper, whether it's behind the film or in front of the film. Mm-hmm. Now, so well, here, so this is kind of going a little bit more broader, but there's there's various options that you have right with with filtration in the darkroom, whether you're putting it above the lens or below the lens. When you get into contact contact print, also. Like, can you put the filter underneath the negative or over the negative, or should it still remain like on the enlarger side, either above or below the lens? Well, you don't want anything between the film and the paper because it, the contact is what makes it a very sharp image. Mm-hmm. So, it's, so there's no reason why it can't just be in the holder underneath your lens that you're shining light in. Or I have a variable contrast head on one of my enlargers, so you know it's behind everything, you know, shining down through the lens. So it's it really doesn't matter. Yeah. Gotcha. So if you've got, if you've got a color head, as Joseph was saying, you've got a color head on your enlarger, then you can just dial those filters in in the normal way. Or if you want to use the Ilford under the lens holders, you can use those. If you're doing proper split grade printing, you know, as a standard, you know, Wayne Setzer in our Facebook group is, does it all the time. Um, he'd certainly recommend the use of the Ilford under the lens filters, and so would I, because it's so much easier to take those filters out. And put a new one in without having to fiddle around with dials on the um, on the top of the enlarger head. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, for the four by five, it's just a, a condenser. Uh, the the lens turret, uh, you know, because each lens is screwed in with a little retaining ring on a on a lens plate that then mounts onto that rotating turret. Wow. Uh, I was taking a look, and I don't know if there's a way of of mounting the little Ilford under the lens one because it's a little it's a little box. Mm. Um, and then it's got its own little retaining ring that the tray kind of slides into. Okay. Uh, but for something like that, is there any downside to putting the filters in the actual tray of the condenser? I, I heard something yesterday about needing to buy a piece of like heat absorbing glass so that you're not like melting your filter. Well, it can be a problem if you, if you enlarge your light, depending on the heat that's given off and how long you've got it switched on. You know, I had an enlarger years ago which had a plastic filter tray and it basically melted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so it can be a problem, you know, depending on the illumination on the light source and the, and how physically hot it gets. Yeah, yeah. You should only use filters like that if it, the enlarger is designed to do that. Yeah, Trying to stick be. filters into one of those hot, you know, areas is really bad news the one mm-hmm. thing i would say about the difference is my i have a black and white variable contrast head so i, I just turn a dial very simply from you know zero to five and super yeah. easy but the um school where i teach we they have bessler and largers where they have a you know a little tray underneath that you're sliding them in and you know students of course stick their fingers on those filters and get fingerprints on them and everything so anything you're between your lens and what your print that can diffuse the light or or make it blurry or do I mean it can really affect your image. So you, if you're yeah. using filters like that, you just want to keep them super clean. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. That's the beauty of having them behind everything, is if the filter's behind the negative, then there's nothing between your lens <clears throat> and the negative in the print. Yeah, I'll I'll do some research because just even even feeling it in there having the 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 light on while i was testing it like it gets pretty toasty so i don't want to put some some money into you know they, they'd have to be pretty big i think they'd have to be those like five inch uh ones from from milford like i don't want to put a bunch of money into that only to to have the light heated up too much so does it have any kind of it doesn't have any kind of fan on it then to help keep not that i can see no no, no. No, I've got an Omega G5, and it's got the big, the, uh, it's either five or six inch filters that have that tray that slides right underneath the condenser, mm-hmm. but it does get red hot in there. Um, mm. And I saw on eBay, somebody was selling um, heat deflecting glass panels of that same size, and I, I haven't pulled the trigger on that yet, basically, because since we moved, I can't use, I don't have a, a place to put the, the enlarger and actually use it, uh, but I definitely recommend Take a look at something like that. So it sounds sounds like a good idea if you're going to use that those filter trays, Andre, to maybe get some kind of like Greg was suggesting. Yeah, yeah they did burning glass. They yeah. did sell a swing out arm that I think mine doesn't have that that will allow like the tra- traditional under the lens filters. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. You might want to take a look at some of the older catalogs, the Omega. Uh, catalogs just to see if, if you can get a model number and maybe you just you know, set a, uh, a search on uh, on eBay. So if you right. pops up. Yeah, it's not a bad idea. I I could have sworn that uh, one of the Ilford multi-grade filter kits comes with a clamp-on holder 
that you clamp it onto the lens. It does. It yeah, does, no, it yeah. Does. yeah. The only issue with that is that with the with the three lens turret, yeah, that's right. You'd you'd have to you know mount it on one, and then if you wanted to to put it on a different one, you'd have to unscrew it. Yeah, that's not difficult though, Andre. That's that's okay. I wouldn't worry too much about that. It's not a massive deal, you know. Mm-hmm. Just, it's it's really easy. Yeah, to I've, take I've, it. I've actually got you can buy three kits. Yeah. <laughs> I've actually got one here, so I'll, I'll likely uh, do also, you know, borrowed from the office. Uh, there's about like six enlargers at the office that are just going unused. Um, wow. But I'll, I'll I'll see if I can get that mounted onto say the 135. One, one right. other one other tip for you, Andre. Before mm-hmm. we move on, we were talking about um, unloading your film holders and putting them into bags, yes. inside boxes, the original film, film boxes. Problem is, a lot of people then send them off, or they lose them, or whatever. One of the things that um, I know B and H sells them, I know Adorama sells them, and I think Freestyle used to sell them. Are these uh, the Delta paper and film uh, safety bags? They're, yeah, I saw those ten, the other day. When yeah, I was they're there. they're ten by twelve, and they are uh, very light proof. So if you ever find yourself in a situation like that, or you you need multiple bag uh, bag uh, boxes combination because you are going to do like n minus one in one stack and n minus you know normal and then whatever mm-hmm. however you want to organize those, get yourself a uh, they're real cheap. Uh, get yourself a bag of these. I think they come uh, five or six to a bag. And uh, and then you can use any box. You don't just have to have the film box. That'll make things safe for you. To, to add to that, I, I've got hundreds of boxes around for packing dry plates. So, and some, sometimes when people need some, I'll I'll I'll, I'll send send some their way. So, gotcha. Um, going back to the- Andrea, on on that uh, note, I got another little tip: is uh, if you are unloading and loading. Uh, film holders in a dark bag, put a cardboard box in there. It gives you a lot of space. Yeah, sure. yep. that's a good point. Yep. Uh, going going back to the actual picture taking stage, uh, one thing that I am that I would be interested in, you know, doing is is starting to to play around with some some more uh, dynamic filters. Like uh, I think a, a ten stop ND filter is something that whenever I see images using one that are, you know, really compelling makes me interested. But, uh, the different lenses that I have, you know, one is a, you know, Kodak, uh, series six, something that I have no idea what the, what the filter size is. My, my 210 doesn't have a, a front filter thread. How do you guys go about using filters with large format lenses? And you guys have some, some, pretty big glass well i i use um for my three lenses which is a schneider 150 f 5.6 and um scared to say it now and and nikon uh, um 90 millimeter f8 and another schneider 210 and for those um i just use the standard coking p size um holders cheap and cheerful readily available a lot of people you know use the lee filter system which is very good um they have the i think they're 100 mil size gels uh, very very nice and well made filter systems but i just haven't shelled the money out for that but the coking stuff 
work works fine, you know. But you do have to have the screw in adapters. <coughs> for yeah, each, the, for each for, you have just like step up, step down rings. Yeah, yeah. Just, just they, they all fit, they fit up, and then you slide the coke in P holder over the ring. You see, so you just have a different size uh, filter thread to go on the different um, th- different lenses that you have. Um, just, just as a as a point, you mentioned the, the a ten stop ND, um, and the thing is, you've got a large format camera, um, so you, you've got access to some pretty slow film, and yeah. your aperture. You know, it, it should be capable of going down to, um, I mean, certainly F22, um, just about anything's going to go down, down down to that, and some will go past that. Now, there are good reasons some, in some cases why you don't want to go past F22, but really, it's 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 there. If it's available, it's it's an option for you to use it. But I was, I was when I was out with Alex uh, the other day, I was taking 30-second exposures without a filter um, using ISO 100 film. Um, because I was you have to F22. take into it. You have to take into account, also, Simon, that you guys live in the UK <laughs> and I live on like, the sunniest place on earth. Yeah, very true, very true. Well, but you, but you here, can... here it's it's sometimes like you know, the past couple of days have not been sunny sixteen. It's been like sunny thirty two. Yeah. Mm. Well, I've I've heard that Cine still do a fifty ISO film, and uh, yeah, that's yeah. and uh, and again that's. You know, use use your small aperture because generally speaking when you're actually shooting long exposures it's usually stopped down anyway isn't it you know you're not trying to like uh, capture something uh, in focus and everything in front of behind is going to be out of focus so yeah use 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 the force use use what you've got with the large format or or just get a two or three stop nd filter and you'll probably find that together with a small aperture gives you kind of what you want or, or you can use multiple exposure techniques to get that same, but slightly. If you look at the work of John Blakemore, he did a lot of studies of uh, using his crown graphic of moving water with lots of small individual exposures, which gives mm-hmm. a similar but quite different looking motion effect. You know, so there's all different I've got, ways um, around it. On my big ball 2.8 lens, I've got um, printed waterhouse stops, the clip on the front. So I can stop the lens down, um, which means if I'm shooting at 2.8, like I was on the ball, um, I was shooting a model in the middle of a field and it's bright, sunny day. I was able to drop in different waterhouse stops on the front and I got down to, I don't know, uh, 5.6 with a gradated blend on the edges as well. And they're cheap. They're just bits of plastic. So, um, so yeah, that's another option. I just want to bring Jason Lane into this one now because I'm thinking that the, the the position of where you actually put the aperture um, mm-hmm. is usually quite critical, um, and you're just sticking them in front of the lens. So yeah, so, you know yeah. me. Yeah, well, no, and it, and it's worked. I mean, you're obviously you're obviously happy with the result that you've got. Yeah. So so um, Jason, what's going on there? Were you were you? Oh, it's been, it's been, uh, oh I was going to say I thought you were pretending not to be listening then. <laughs> uh, yeah, I. I guess once you get out in front of the the front lens, you're you're starting to mix vignetting with with stopping down. Um, I, I I don't know. <laughs> I think whatever works. <laughs> yeah, at the end of the day, it is just whatever works, isn't it? There's no right and there's no wrong. You know, I mean, the end yeah. of the day is the negative. You know, it's what's on the negative. So how you get? I, there, I think on the. Yeah, what I was trying to, 
what I was trying to recall was was how that actually affects the Ektar prescription. I think for that family of designs, you know, you you'll get a little bit of a change in in the aberration. So you may find that uh, that um, like you may add a little bit of coma but if you stop it down i mean you, you stop it down quite a bit that stuff goes away anyways and 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 you obviously don't see this but i i would imagine that if you had the waterhouse stop too far in front of the lens you'll start getting a um some vignetting some light roll off which is i think the rule of thumb that we use is is 20 to 30 percent roll off you can't really see unless you measure it um, but but as far as doing that for that type of design, it, yeah, I, I would. Dave, if it works, difference. if it works for you and you're happy, you're not bothered, are you? Really? No, right. I, I mean for me, it's that's part of the beauty of it. You know, it's yeah. the aberration, the distortion, um, uh, and how you play with it, and that's part of the beauty of it for me. That's how. That's what yeah. I love about Lars' format. While yeah, we've got no, Jay's cool. if I can ask a supplementary question, harking back to something Simon said about stopping down not wanting to go past F22, I was listening to Ben Horn, another former guest. Um, actually, he was on a video that I posted into the Large Format Photography Facebook group about exposure, and he says he would uh, not go down past F45 uh, for diffraction reasons. Jason, would you... Is there a, is there a rule about this? Um, and Should we worry about diffraction, and what is it? I, I, I was going to let Simon's comment slide because I know he's <laughs> was thinking a smaller format, but since, since you brought it up, yeah, I, the, uh, with large format lenses, it, cause the, the, the diffraction, the airy disc, um, the, the rule of thumb is that it, it's a function of the F number. Um, but that's an approximation when you look what, what at the is actual, it, though, Jason, Jason, what is it? What is diffraction? Yeah. Ask him. Oh, uh, it's it's this magical thing that uh, it has to do with that the I would explain versus the size of the hole, right? And so, if you're using uh, orthochromatic film, you might have a different measurement. Y- yeah, uh, it's it's I like a rule of thumb. It's a it's a not it's a I don't know it, it it's um look up the definition of airy disc and it it talks about how uh uh. Uh, no, normally in geometric optics, which which most of us think, uh, you know, you talk in terms of light rays, so the path that the light takes, and, and geometrically, it, you know, light travels in a straight p- path. But that's not always correct. If uh, if if a if a photon, or actually a wavefront, you have to start thinking of it in terms of wavefront uh, passes near the edge of something, um, it can be deflected, and and the common sort of the common sense analogy I think of, if you guys remember listening to AM or FM radio uh, at, to a station from a distance, uh, an AM radio station especially, it'll it'll fade in and out. Well, that's that's a, a diffractive effect as, um, as, as the signal strengths and weaknesses as it's passing across, you know, through a, a mountain chain or something between you and the station. Um, but if you haven't listened to AM radio, I guess that doesn't mean anything to you at all. Um, but but 
getting back to my point, it, it, it's also a function of the focal length. So for the longer focal lengths that we deal with in large format, um, you can stop it down a bit further before diffraction limit gets gets to be a big deal. And and I think how does it how does it affect um, does is it an issue with uh, color black and white film does it how does it materialize itself if you suffer from diffraction is it a well, it, image from that? it it i think the result result is a slight loss in in the the high the the small details what do you guys call mm. it the micro contrast i think that's the right the, the buzzword but um so so it, it it's a very small blurring as you stop down the lens, the airy disc, and you can go Google that what that means. Like okay. it's larger, and uh, and so that that cuts into your your ability ability to see fine detail. And, okay, and it's, I don't think um, I'm going to worry too much about it. Yeah, well, well, just as yeah, a, just just going to the point that you let you let slip then um, about uh, me not going wanted to go past f twenty two with my in particular that was with a seventy five millimeter lens. <laughs> Um, and I'm talking on on four by five, um, so I think I don't know if it actually goes past death thirty two anyway. Um, and most of my lenses don't; uh, they top out at f thirty two. Um, so are we are we saying that f thirty two on four by five is something that we shouldn't be concerned about with the seventy five millimeter lens? Or I mean, how does that work? Well, go go ahead. I was just saying that's such a wide lens on four by five anyway, that much past f twenty two, it's not going to be. You're not going to get much more in focus at that point. Yeah. 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 yeah I was going to say on, on like a normal focal length lens, which is like you know one hundred and fifty ish or so, f thirty two, f forty five, probably probably all right. And and as you go larger. Um, you know, you can stop it down farther. I mean, there's a reason that they, the what the club in the early 20th centuries called yeah. them the F64 club. Exactly. Yeah. Because it was super sharp at F64. Yep. Cool. Good enough one, for that. Thank you. One one other um, option for for uh, adding a a larger filter to a uh, I think these go up to an 82 millimeter barrel diameter is the the Lee. Um, gel filter, they call these uh, gel snaps. And basically the premise is that it holds a four by four, 100 millimeter uh, single uh, filter in there. You can't use graduated neutral density filters. It's gotta be a square one. Snaps in there like that. And so these are great for contrast filters, ND filters, and then it goes right around the barrel. Oh, look at that. So this is a, yeah, I think that's that's one of the the questions that I had. Like, I think on my two ten, it doesn't have a front filter, so I was confused as to how you actually like. You can make those, Steve. Yeah, these are these. All it is is a tab on top, a tab on the bottom, and a heavy duty rubber band. That's that's all that there is to that, uh, and it's pretty cheap for a Lee piece of gear. I mean, they're ridiculously overpriced. Um, most of the Lee stuff, but these I think come in without the filter kit at something like 27 bucks. Uh, and it's slightly niche because it is only a single, uh, single slot capability and you can't do the graduated neutral density, the, the four by six filters. What's it but called it, again, Greg? It's What's a it Lee uh, filter gel snap. 
gel snacks. And some, yeah, sometimes they sell them in kits with uh, the uh, not the glass filters, the um, their resin filters, uh, mm. and the kits are like soft filters or contrast filters for black and white or neutral density kits. But they sell them separately as well, just the filter holder, okay. and everybody has them. Get on it, chroma cameras. That's what I say. <laughs> I'm, sh I'm sure there's some Chinese knockoffs that probably, but I've never seen them. But that's that's an extremely easy way to just add it to, yeah, like I'll I said, up to, up to 82 millimeter diameter. Okay, well, I'd be looking for a Scouse knockoff personally, not in China. <laughs> I find that offensive, but true. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm just going to say, Port Market. Yeah, um, I'm just going to say we've we've been on for quite some time now. Um, Jimmy Jimmy so, Hickford's having kittens about the file size. Yeah, though, that's, that's that's a good point. So I'm thinking, um, have you got one more question, Andre? Uh, I do us? have and one more question that I've been saving to the end. Great. You guys ready? So they are. Yeah. All right. What brands of floppy hat do y'all recommend? Because I surely can't be a real <laughs> Tilly. A Tilly. A Tilly T three is what you want. A Tilly T three. Perfect. Um, look it up. Tilly is. Uh, I think they're guaranteed for like decades, and uh, I haven't got one because I've got a National Geographic one. Simon was trying to convince me that we needed LFPP branded yes. large format hats, and the one he showed me, the one he showed me, which apparently Johnny's sister's had. It, it looked like someone from the Bill, you know, Bill and Ben, the flower pot men. You may not know them, no, but with this no, hat, no. <laughs> Simon suggested this hat, and if you if you wear it, you'll look like a a, a flower pot man. <laughs> well, that was, Google it. Yeah, Google Bill and Ben, the flower pot men, yeah. and you'll see. That's the hat that Simon wants. No, I, well, that's that's what Johnny had suggested. So yeah, um, well, what so does he know? We're, we're, exactly. <laughs> we'll, we'll make him work harder. So a Tilly yeah. T, a Tilly T three hat, Andre. Okay. If you guys end up uh, making any like uh, embroidered LFPP patches, I'll I'll make sure to put that on my on my Tilly T3 hat. Yep. And then I, if I'm have any questions about you know what it is that my movements are doing, uh, negative positives will make a little a little square beer mat, and then all my troubles will be will be behind me. They will. <laughs> right. Um, okay. Um, I think we'll start to wind things up. I've got to say, everybody here that's uh, that's been on, uh, thank you for, for for taking part. It's been illuminating. <laughs> and uh, and Andre, uh, thank you for staying awake. Um, and uh, then again, it's, it's 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 relatively early over there where you are, anyway, isn't it? So there'll be no excuse anyway. Um, but no. yeah, no, my, my girlfriend's in the kitchen here, starting to to make us some some lunch or breakfast, I guess, depending on how you want to look at it. But I do want to thank you guys all for uh, for staying on for so long, answering some of my questions. Thank you for Andrew and Simon uh, for you know bearing with me as I had to, to reschedule from last time for putting this together. I think it's a, it's a great idea, and I encourage you to, to do more of these kinds of things in the yeah. future. And, uh, yeah, I, I look forward to the rest of my large format journey, start posting my, my first photos in the, in the Facebook group and uh, being a, a more active part of the community. Well, it's been, it's been a pleasure yeah. having you on, and I think your, your questions have been excellent. Um, and I think it's also shown that there's, 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 there's certainly mileage in, in this kind of format as well, because I think you've only really touched the surface of, of the many questions uh, that, that are out there. 
Um, so perhaps at some point in, in, the, in the future, we may do a, a similar kind of event. So if there's uh, anybody that's, that, that's listening that uh, uh, might want to do something like this, um, then you, know, you can always drop us a line. And uh, Andrew, how, how do people get in touch with us on the Large Format Photography Podcast? Um, there's an email address. There is, yeah. Can you remember it? <laughs> um, the Large Format Photography Podcast at Gmail. No, Andrew, there's no the. No, isn't there? No. Okay. Large <laughs> I Format have Photography. To be the one telling you this. <laughs> large Large Format Photography Podcast at gmail.com. <laughs> large Format Photography Podcast at gmail.com. There should be a the. Why isn't there a the at the beginning? Uh, because it was long enough as it was. Okay. Yeah. Um, right. I just want to say thank you to those people that have donated to us since the last time uh, we said thank you. And I'm just trying to work out when that might have even been. So that would have been like potentially from the 1st of August. So let's just see uh, who we've got on here since the 1st of August. I'm just going to go through them. Um, oh, my word. How do I say that one? Ah, that was, oh, that's okay. That was back in July. So I haven't got to say that one again. Go on, um, say it again. Oh. <laughs> it's, I'm sure uh, they deserve thanking twice. Yeah, Aram Havarnyau Nagala. I don't know. It's got it's got strange things in, in it's got strange things above letters as well. I, okay. I think that might be Finnish or something like that. I'm not entirely sure. Um, okay, so let's. Did we have have we anything this month? Oh yeah, here we go. Uh, Robin, there, uh, first of August. Um, really enjoyed the Jack Lowe, Jack Lowe episode um, so thought it was an opportune moment to do this well thank you very much Robin um, and we've also had a donation from Shug Pug um, so thank, thank you very much Shug Pug um, okay so um, uh, oof, we've got a lot of people on the on the show Nick, Nick Lars had to sadly leave us um, so uh, thank you Nick for, for, for being with us um, I think we can do a quick run through of the people that are here um and if you want to say um uh, how people can you know look at the work that you do that that, that kind of stuff and if you if you've got a very very quick shout out as well please uh, do do so as well so top of my list on my alphabetical list is uh, aj so aj white um, how can people look at the kind of things that you do you're muted as well aj all right, yeah, if y'all want to look me up, it's uh, bearded underscore otog with an F on his oh, to find me. Like you, you were breaking up there, so give give that another go. Uh, bearded photog on Instagram. It's just uh, underscore between bearded and photog, and that's with an F. That's it. That, that's that's great. Uh, uh, we'll come back to Andre and Andrew. We were next on this list alphabetically. Um, then we've got Camerodactyl uh, with, with Ethan. Um, how can people keep an eye on what the kind of things that you do, Ethan? Uh, you can find me at, at Camerodactyl on Instagram or Camerodactyl.com. Thanks, guys. Excellent. Great having you with us. Um, Chroma Camera. That would be Steve Lloyd. How can people keep up with the, the amazing things that you're up to at the moment? <laughs> Um, I'm on Instagram as Chroma Camera, or my um, website is Chroma.Camera. Excellent. That's that's a cool Delicious. website as well. Chroma.Camera. <laughs> not a .com, anything like that, just Chroma Camera. Nope. So, you, yeah, you're not typing it in yeah. wrong. Yeah, that is how it works. Not um, the Chroma Camera? <laughs> nope, there's no there. <laughs> sure. Ultra modern. It's okay. Uh, and then we've got Dave Shrimpton. Uh, Dave, how can people keep up with the kind of things that you do? 
Uh, I, I wouldn't bother if I be. I mean, yeah, you'll find me around. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. Uh, I'll be on the group sometimes. So, yeah. But thanks, guys. And uh, yeah, inspirational. Thanks. What's your What's your Instagram handle? Uh, it's Dave underscore Trumpton. Excellent. Well worth taking a look as well. Um, then we've got uh, Greg Opst. Uh, Greg, how can people keep up with the kind of stuff that you do? You can go to uh, Instagram. It's uh, Greg, G-R-E-G-G, Opst, O-B-S-T, all one word. Um, that's These days it's mostly behind the scenes stuff and shooting and uh, that kind of thing. Um, I've got a huge developing backlog, but the more curated stuff is on gregopst.com. Excellent. Thank, thank you. Uh, Jason Lane, um, you, you're behind quite a few things. So uh, so the things that you're doing, how can people keep up with those? Uh, so first of all, my my website uh, where you can go for dry plates and dry plate info is www.pictoriographica.com. And I hope you add the link to it because spelling that is fun. Um, I'm on Instagram at Pictoriographica. And if you want to see the work of of folks who are shooting dry plates, uh, check out the dry plate photographers group on Facebook. Excellent. And, uh, Jimmy Hickford. Thank you. Hopefully you're still recording, Jimmy. Uh, yes, it is still recording. I might have missed little bits. Uh, there was a, a second while you were shutting the, sh- uh, you were tying the ribbons on the show. Um, that my computer decided to stall, but, uh, most of it is there. Um, it's been, uh, as you say, it's been very illuminating. Um, I'm, I'm pretty much on the same, same uh, part of the journey as Andre. Uh, I haven't done that much four by five. I've done medium format and thirty five mil. Getting better with those four by five is still a, a totally new beast to me. Um, with the speed graphic that I got from Dave. Uh, so yeah, still, um, still learning myself. Well, uh, I look forward to learning together, Jimmy. Yeah, we might have to uh, to to put heads together at some point, Andre. We'll do. And uh, thank thank you again, Jimmy. Uh, John, yeah, and uh, John John Money, uh, thank you for for being with us today. I hope you've enjoyed this. Oh, this is a lot of fun. Thank you for having me. I didn't I didn't say much, but uh, I was more in on in receive mode from, from all the the wisdom that is in this group. Yeah, I, I've, I've well, if you if you've listened to many podcasts that we that we've done, I go into receive mode uh, on this show quite often, um, and just quite happy listening to to Andrew talking to whoever our guest is. So uh, I know I know that feeling well. But uh, thank you very much for being with us, John. Appreciate that. Oh, thank you. It's my pleasure. How do we find you, John? Oh yeah, uh, Instagram uh, John T Money. Gotcha. Uh, there we go. And that's it. I've requested a follow, so I hope you let me in. And uh, um, Ethan, um, I'm just wondering if you can do the um, the uh, oh, I can't think of the word now. But uh, Nick, 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 yeah, Nick, Nick's not here. You know where Nick is, don't you? Uh, Nick is all over the place. You can find him on Whippy Island in Seattle, chasing <laughs> pigeons and screaming at uh, eagles. <laughs> no, uh, he's Av Nick on. Uh, Instagram. You can find him at the Homemade Camera uh, podcast Facebook group and homemadecamera.com. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you very much for that. Um, and Joseph, jo- finally on our, our list here, Joseph Brunges, thank you very much for being with us again. And I've got to say thank you very much for your contributions as well today as well. Oh, yeah. Thank you. It was a pleasure. 
Uh, you can find me on my website, which is josephbrunges.com. I'm on Instagram at Joseph Brunges Photography and on Flickr is Joseph Brunges. Those are probably the three easiest places to find me. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you again very much, Sam. And did you, play a tune? did you play a tune with that, Dave Shrimpton? Sorry, Simon. I just he looks like he's playing an accordion. <laughs> yeah, <I can. laughs> Sorry. Um and uh, Andre, um again, thank you um for making this the show wouldn't have happened. Um so if people like it, um that's that's great. You can take the credit. If people are thinking why please do not do that ever again, it's Andre's fault. Um yeah, <laughs> thank thank you, thank you for being with us. And um so you this is a good opportunity for you to say all the many things that you get involved in. So uh, tell the right. tell world. Well, yeah, for, first of all, you know, once again, thank you so much guys for, for having me. Uh, if you would like to, to reach out to me, there's a, a few different ways. I'm Andre on film on Instagram. Please do check out the negative positives podcast co-hosted by myself, Mr. Mike Gutterman and the lovely Miss Roxana angles. Uh, you can also reach out to me via uh, Cinestill directly. If you have any Cinestill specific questions. All of you large format shooters that are chomping at the bit for some 800T, 50D, and hell, potentially even some double X, uh, you know, keep keep an eye out for the next uh, few months. That's, that's going to be really, yeah. that's gonna be really exciting. Yes. <laughs> so double X and 5x7? Uh, who knows? DVD. <laughs> it would, double X will probably come out in 120 first. And then maybe like a custom limited order in the future. Yeah, and I, I'm I'm going to I'm going to apologise to those people who are on the. Um, actually, there's no point uh, <laughs> on YouTube because Jimmy's. It looks like Jimmy's computer's crashed, so this bit isn't actually being recorded. Um, so, <laughs> so I can't really apologise to the YouTube people because they can't hear what I'm saying. Um, but I'm sorry anyway. Um, um, and uh, Andrew. How can people mm. keep up with the kind of things that you do? Uh, on Twitter and Instagram, I'm Warboys Snapper. And then you can find me hanging out on the Large Format Photography podcast Facebook group most days, several times a day. Andre, you, uh, you, uh, you, your Instagram feed has got more than six pictures on it now, but not many more. It's got more than six pictures, but it's been over a year since I've posted. And it's all watches. It's about one-third watches. Mm. You're not following me. That's the other point I'll make. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, I'll make sure to correct that. <laughs> okay. And, uh, okay, so fi finally, I'm on Twitter as uh, Simon4. Uh, I'm on Instagram as Simon Forster Photographic, which is also the name of my website as well. But you stick a co.uk on the back of there. Um, what else? I do a weekly podcast called the Classic Lenses uh, Podcast with Johnny Sisson and Perry G. Um, and that's probably about it. I'm sure I've forgotten some other things, but they, there you go. Our music is called Two Finger Johnny uh, by... Uh, Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com um, so yeah so I hope you've enjoyed this week's show and uh, it'd be great if you can come back again next time so goodbye bye see you guys bye bye see you guys bye bye everybody bye bye hey Andre um, you oh, are you still there <laughs> he, could, he, could, he, he could not wait to get away. <laughs> he, he did shoot. He's the only one who has to see it. Come on, show me. Show me. Send it to me and Simon instead. <laughs> <laughs>